Coming up this week, off screen, Kong returns as we head to Skull Island. Paul Verhoeven introduces us to L. And Haitian Sandra O oh have a cat fight. Sex and romance get deadly with the Love Witch. Joan Collins and Pauline Collins have the time of their lives. The bad boy of ballet gets a biography with Dancer. And Pierce Brosnan faces the dark side of IT. All those to come and more, off screen. This is. This is off screen. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. Welcome to Offscreen, I'm Van Connor. I'm Case Allen. You're not in a a great way this week, are you, Case? You're looking a bit under the weather. Yeah. Got a, got a smashing headache. Not smashing isn't good, smashing isn't bad. Well, before we, we start off with the film news then, mm. I'm going to give you some news that I know you don't have, because it, I'm going to hope this cheers you up, because I know something about you now that you don't know about yourself. So that makes you and my wife a privy to information that I don't know about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but what your wife doesn't even know is that you are now an, an award-nominated film critic. Really? You are indeed. You are actually an award-nominated critic. Nominated by who? And for what? And nominated why? And for the British Podcast Awards, sir. We have been nominated for the first wow. inaugural British Podcast Awards. See how much happier you seem now? No way. Yes. That is exciting news. Totally true, Congratulations yeah. to you, sir. Oh, thank you. Thank you. Yes, I'm half of this as well, aren't I? Yeah. Um, wow, yes. that is exciting news. We have been nominated in the TV, film, and book ca- books category for the British Podcast Awards. We are also nominated for the Listener Choice Award, where you actually the listeners actually get to vote as well. Ah. So we have no control whatsoever about whether or not we win the TV, film, and book category, but we can egg people on to go to uh, BritishPodcastAwards.com and uh, you can vote for your favourite podcast in there. Please pick us. And, uh, yeah, we're, we're nice people. We're, we're nice. We're good. We, we, we dress well and, and have elegant facial hair. And yeah. uh, I'm a little bit disappointed about the podcast awards. It isn't called the podcasties. <laughs> I think there's a poddies. A poddies. There is the poddies. Amazing. The poddies is an award thing. But yes, BritishPodcastAwards.com. Please give us your vote. There is, by the way, an off-screen hyphen which looks nothing like ours. We're all one word. So off-screen, one word. Yes. You just type us into the, the search thing, and then you vote. You need to enter your email address and your name. That's it. I might, can, so. can I vote for myself? You I'm can vote really for yourself. I vote, I vote for us. Let's so. do it. Yeah, and all our artwork now features the uh, Podcast Award branding. So Fantastic. Yeah. That major day, you are now award-nominated? Yes, he did. Yeah, fantastic. Wow, first time I think I've, I've been nominated for an award. Other than, you know, the two Grammys, but nobody, nobody counts what I was doing. Yeah, but that, doesn't, well, that doesn't matter, because Beyonce made the greatest video of all time. So. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm waiting for our acceptance speech, where Kanye just pops up. Incidentally, if we do become, if we become finalists, uh, mm. we ha- we'll have to actually consider going to the award ceremony. Are you is... thinking uh, the uh, orange and blue suits from, uh, from Dumb and Dumber? Exactly what I was thinking. Yeah. I had that as an option, and I also had the uh, Trey Parker and Matt Stone at the Oscars. Oh, when they're wearing the dresses. When they're wearing the dresses. Yeah, everyone is like Gwyneth Paltrow. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely, yeah. So now that we've had the happy news, onto some film news then, Mr. Allen. And I will continue with even... Not even happy news, but I will continue with a happy trend. Okay. Uh, David Harbour is an actor I really, really like. I I do as well. What do you like him from? Out of interest. Um, Obviously, Stranger Things. I feel like that's the one that... That's the biggie. That's the big one Mm. right now, but it's kind of like... 
because he was always sort of like one of those one of those guys. That guy, he's, from a, that he's thing. a that guy. Yeah. yeah, and he's been that guy for about twelve years. I have him from the newsroom. Uh, he plays Elliot yeah. in the newsroom. Newsroom and uh, Black Mass. He was in recently. Equalizer. Just a bunch of Equalizer mm-hmm. was really good in. Yeah, um, he is in talks to uh, be Cable. Is he actually in talks? Is he confirmed yeah. to be in talks. He's brilliant. confirmed to be in talks, which is. I mean, this is this is just mad, isn't it? Just how long it has taken to cast this character. We thought it was going to be Pierce Brosnan. Russell Crowe popped up last mm-hmm, week. Yeah. And I'm I'm happy. If it's David Harbour, I'm really happy about that. I'd be happy for all three, to be honest. Did you see the Deadpool 2 but, um, teaser? Yeah. I did indeed. I did not see it in front of Logan, because I think that's just in the States where mm. it's in front of Logan. Uh, but I saw it online. It, it uh, debuted online on Saturday or Sunday or I what, think so, one of the yeah. days this weekend. Day ending in Y... Day any yeah. and why. Yeah, a day where the rock is making a film. <laughs> exactly, yes. <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah, that, that's, that's cool. I would be up for him being Cable. Definitely, definitely. I yeah. think he's got the right sort of tonal temperament throughout all of his performances to pull it definitely. off. Definitely, and he's the right height. You need someone who's got a bit of got a bit of size on Ryan Reynolds. That's true. Ryan Reynolds ain't exactly short. But... He's not, no. No. But yeah, we need someone like David Harbour. So speaking of matchups, then let's talk about Catfight real quick. Hmm. This is this is really unlike any anything you've seen, unless you saw Fist Fight recently, which it sort of encroaches on. So you only had Fist Fight for the boys, uh, and it had a lot of gross out humor involved because obviously it's connected to Charlie Day and it's always sunny and it's a lot of gross out humor that put a lot of people off. And I had a lot of conversations this week about how awful Fist Fight was. In which I had to stick up for it venomously. Um, you now have fist fight. Uh, no, fist fight. You have uh, cat fight, which is the indie movie version of fist fight, and it's with the girls. It's Sandra O oh and Anne Heche, Right. The idea is they are former college friends. I'm not sure if they're roommates, but they're college friends. They sort of drifted apart whilst they were in college. They now meet and they're sort of in their forties. They have a bit of a misunderstanding at a dinner party, and as you do, they wind up in a stairwell beating each other to the, to a pulp. And as yeah. as you do. And this sets in motion this sort of this conflict, this rivalry that lasts for years and goes into incredibly dark, depraved, and slightly funny places that involves comas, deaths, bankruptcies, <laughs> everything you can imagine. We have a clip of how this misunderstanding basically comes about. Score, which one is he? Uh, he's, um, I see those two guys by the couch. Yeah. He's a tall, handsome one. For real? Mm-hmm. Wow. I thought those guys were gay. They were acting so gay. It was like gay, 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 gay. <laughs> Why would you think that? No, nothing. I'm kidding. Don't. I'm, he's great. He's so lovely. Yeah, my husband's not gay. No, I know. I know. We have a beautiful son. But don't. I know. Yeah. <laughs> don't so. get I know. I honestly, it was a joke. He's really handsome. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, um, what about you? Are you, are you married? <laughs> Oh, no, wait, no. yes, you're right, because you're gay, right? Yeah, you remembered, huh? Mm-hmm. Of course I remembered. So, Sandra O, oh, do you know Sandra O oh from, from anything, really? Uh, yeah, she is in uh, Grey's Anatomy and uh, Sideways. That was what I was, was going to say. Yeah, most yeah. people obviously know her from Grey's Anatomy. I don't watch Grey's Anatomy, so I don't... I, Neither do I, I but I, I know her from Sideways. I know Anne Heche 
from the remake of Psycho. There, there's a sort of typecasting that all actors have, as you know. I mean, when we talk about David Harbour a minute ago, we said that sort of that tone that he always has and everything he does. Anna Heche had a thing in the late 90s when she was turning up in comedies, and she was always the nagging shrill one. And Sandra Oh, obviously, through uh, through what I've seen of Grey's Anatomy and you know, and other things like Sideways, etc., she uh, she tends to be uh, quite a stoic character. So what you have here are two uh, two actors who are really trying to play on that. And you've got a script. I'm trying to remember the name of the Turkish director behind it. It is Ona Tukel. And uh, he's come up with this way that they can absolutely explode their own self-image. What you've got is a film that, that really tries to explore the lasting consequences of violence, but do it in a dramedy way. It is so indie-friendly, it is so comedically charged, and yet, at the same time, just when it's really, really working, they add these weird little cartoonish elements that take you out of it completely. So there's a character in there called uh, Ariel... What's her name? Ariel... It begins with V... Uh, oh, Cavusi. Ariel Cavusi, who has this sort of babyish voice. She's Anne Heche's sidekick, her put-upon assistant, and she's just terrible to witness. She's just a, a, an absolute chore to sit through. And then the end of it all, you've got these uh, these fights as well. Obviously, the whole film revolves around these three massive brawls they have. And they are brutal, and they are bloody, and they are hyper-violent, but they're also sort of gritty and real. And then on top of it all, they've added this cartoonish punch sound effect. You know, it used to get in, like, 80s action movies. Hmm. And the problem is, when you've got characters throwing punch after punch, like, one per second for, like, 30 seconds straight, it's a bit much. And it ruins what otherwise is a really, really good dramedy. I was fascinated by it. I, I genuinely didn't expect anything of it. I loved it. I think you'll like it as well. I think you'll love the writing that's in there. But, uh, yeah, I really liked it. But I thought the cartoonishness, I thought Ariel Cavusi's character just took me right the hell out of it. So we should uh, plug the podcast in the meanwhile, by the way. Uh, yeah, all right, let's do that. <laughs> we, well, again, award nomination. We should probably plug it. But, I feel uh, like we should have some kind of noise, but every time we mention we'll be nominated, we should have some kind of... Like, a gong. A gong. A gong. Yeah. We'll have a, next week, we'll include an actual gong. Hmm. Uh, so, okay, so if you want the extended version, extended podcast edition of this show, which includes films we can't fit into the radio edits, uh, which are this week includes uh, IT, it includes uh, Dancer, it includes ah. Time of Their Lives... Hmm. We're, we're not getting awards for, for acting, are we? <laughs> no, not at all. <laughs> if you want those reviews and the moment of cage and more film news and the, the the parts where we genuinely get to you know curse and let loose, get off the chain a little bit, uh, uh, I love to swear. Who doesn't? <laughs> then you download the extended podcast. I'll tell you who does? Logan. <laughs> he really does. <laughs> and Professor X. They love to swear. Uh, have you noticed, by the way, that nearly uh, there's a point in Logan at which um, the f bomb is dropped in every single line that Logan comes out with for about oh, yes. half an hour? Yeah, I loved it. Yeah, strange. And it's literally his first word, actually, is the F-bomb. It is. His first yeah, no, line of dialogue. Yeah. But yes, off-screen. You want, you want the off-screen podcast, you want to go to Acast, you want to go to iTunes, you want to go to Deezer, tune in, just type in off-screen on there and download the extended podcast edition and uh, there's stuff after the end credits. It's like a Marvel movie, only it lasts about an hour. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back. So, Mr. Allen, where to next, then? Uh, let's scale the great cinematic mountain that is the UK box office top ten. Indeed. Number ten. Fisticuffs. Fisticuffs? Or fistfight, as it's known in America. Well, it's no catfight, is it? <laughs> no, actually, I, I don't know. They're very different, very, very different films. I liked uh, Fistfight very much, but 
I am now stunningly aware that there are a lot of people who don't. They all seem to be critics for some reason. But uh, yeah. it's one of those, I think this is where that disconnect between critics and audiences come in, because critics were very, very down. I think audiences will like it. I mean, it's gone in at number 10, so obviously not that much. Yeah, it just but, sounds like just... It's kind of like one of those frivolous comedies. Yeah, it's Charlie Day's fun. You know, it's like role Ice models. Cube being or, annoyed and yeah. Christina Hendricks is there and she's always great. <laughs> she's the weirdest thing about it, actually. She kind of just walks around silently with a butterfly knife. Yeah, and, and I've, makes, I've seen a clip of that. She makes gestures to people with a butterfly knife. Uh, Tracy Morgan and Gillian Bell, I thought, were the uh, the stars of this one for me, but I did really, really get into it. I, I laughed myself senseless, and I'm not going to apologise for that. It's a funny movie. I enjoyed it. Yeah. Number nine. I'm thinking I'm back. Jonathan Wick- uh, Whittington the second. Jonathan Wickerton. Wickerton <laughs> Esquire. Uh, I liked I liked John Wick. Um, sorry, <laughs> chapter two. I uh, I didn't love it the way I love the first one, but I still to see that it is a very very good action movie. Um, as far as action sequels go, it's the best one. Keanu Reeves is chucking out anytime soon. You got to give him that. And uh, you know what? It's, it's nice to see Franco Nero turn up in a film for a change. Until you get to the time of our lives this week, and he turns up again naked this time and uh, that, that'll that'll really affect your day so if anything i'd better stick around and listen to the podcast section i don't know what is <laughs> yeah if anything's gonna affect your day it's a naked franco nero but he's fully clothed in, in john wick obviously as he's more or less everyone um i liked uh, i liked ruby rose a lot in this film and common as well i thought they were really mm. good sort of foils to i love common Common's great. yeah common needs to be in more things and he needs to just release more music and just be a bigger presence in my life isn't he an oscar-winning musician he is he is with uh, jonathan legend jonathan ah, legend jonathan his, legend is his proper name is his birth name number eight lion which you know it's hanging in there and uh, i wonder yeah it's got some good buzz hasn't it it is i wonder how long the the sort of heat from the oscars is going to keep it sort of at the lower end of the top 10 if it's going to sail out for next week it's a shame. I really like uh, Dev Patel in the film. I like... What's the name of the young boys? It's Sonny, uh, Pota. Sonny Power. Sonny Power. I thought there was a T in his surname. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sonny Power. I really liked him. And they do seem to share the role. They seem to have equal screen time. Uh, Nicole Kidman and David Wenham, great support as the parents. I did really like it. I think Rooney Mara is a bit superfluous, but, uh, you know, other than that, really, really enjoyable drama. Number seven, Hidden Figures. Which you loved. I didn't love, but I liked it. Well, you didn't love, you liked. I, I enjoyed. I, I very much liked. Yeah, there's there's a bit that really irked me, and it's right in like the dying seconds of the film. Was that? It's when the title comes up, and it says Hidden Figures. It's yeah. like a black background, and the text is in white. And then it does this like weird like wipe, where the text, where like, the title to Hidden Figures like goes up towards the top of the screen. I think I remember this. Do, do, do you... Yeah, because it kind of took me out of the whole film. I know it almost ruined the film for me. It was like really weird clip art. I thought you were going to say it was like one of those moments they do in films where they like awkwardly reference the title, like these figures are hidden. They're so hidden. (laughs) Wink to the camera. Exactly. You know the golfing clap moment. Great performances though. It had some wit to it. It was a non-threatening film though. That was the thing. It was very much this year's The Help. It was we're going to do a story about racial inequality, but we're going to make it fluffy. And mm. do you know what? Oh, um, happy uh, um, International Women's Day to you, sir. And happy Marina Backer and Day to you as well, sir. Mm. <laughs> you know, I think if you're going to do uh, Hidden Figures and International Women's Day and the same thing, why not? Number six. And this is completely opposite of that. Fifty Shades Darker. <laughs> Fifty Shades Dollar. It is bad. It is dull. It is appallingly acted. It is lazily shot. How is, how is Kim? How is Kim in this? How is Kim? Kim, Kim. Fresh from Bas- Bassinger. Oh, basically, barely in it. 
Yeah. Barely in it. She's, she's got She's been Mrs. Robinson, apparently. She is Mrs. Robinson. I presume she's got a bigger role in the third one, which this movie spends its last half hour setting up. So is, is this um, like the, the Empire Strikes Back of the Fifty Shades? Yes. Yes. Amazing. The Boudoir Strikes Back. <laughs> oh, yes. We went there. Uh, <laughs> Give me some film news to cheer me up, then, because you ruined no, it with Fifty no, Shades again. No greater hive of scum and villainy. <laughs> Than the, the Red Room. Than the Red Room, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Exactly. Um, so, you know that we're getting about 20 reboots of Robin Hood? Uh, yeah. Well, yeah, how Robin about Hood. the 21st one that's just been commissioned? Oh, they're going to get Russell Crowe for this one. Russell, Russell the Crow. He's due for a Robin Hood movie, I think. Because he's never like, done one, has he? Never, I feel like, I feel like R- Russell Crowe would make a really good Robin Hood. Absolutely. And I feel like he could bring at least 12 different accents to it as well. I feel that as well. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> truly. Um, but uh, this one, it's a bit of a twist, actually. Okay. Uh, it's actually not going to focus on Robin Hood. Robin Hood is apparently going to be 86. He's going to be killed off. Okay. Like, be opening few scenes. Fair enough. And it's going to be about Maid Marian. And Maid Marian will be played by Margot Robbie. Because oh, of course. Because of course. Because that Margot Robbie needs more films. And yeah, she, and she's very good. And she's I think very that, good, that, yeah. that, will be, that will be excellent. Will she be sitting in a bubble bath explaining math to me? Because I feel like no. all films need that now. Yeah. Um, Whenever the films get a little bit too heavy, you just need to pull a big short. Yeah. And just say... Adam McKay has spoiled us. That's, absolutely. That's, that's absolutely what it is. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the tone for it is it's going to be like an action-adventure Robin Hood film, but it's going to have Marion in the lead, and she's going to be kicking ass and taking names and presumably shooting bows and arrows, bows and arrows and, yeah. everywhere and... Yeah, I'm up for that. Do you reckon we're going to do like a gender swap show for Nottingham? I'd love that. That'd be very good. That would be interesting. Yeah. But, uh, I, I wonder if she's going to be the lead in this one. Why can't they have like a lady sheriff of Nottingham? There's that, nothing that says that we can't. Yeah, it would be you, interesting. Who would, who would you cast? Uh, Helen Mirren. Uh, I don't know. It's my answer to everything. Helen Mirren. She, she's your Kavonjane Wallace. She's my Kavonjane Wallace. I don't know. There's something Wallace Helen Mirren has never been called. Someone's Kavonjane Wallace. Who's, who plays... Oh, what's, what's the name of the principal in Hogwarts in the fifth one? The, oh, the, the uh, lady. Oh, Imelda Staunton. Which, yeah, I would have Imelda Staunton. Ah, that's a good yeah. one. I like that. Thank you. So, um, should we talk about the Love Witch real quick, then? This is... Yeah, because I don't know so much about her. I keep seeing loads of pictures. of It looks like a 60s throwback. And it is. She, she kind of looks like Kim Cattrall. Like, kind of does? Yeah, like young Kim Cattrall back in the day. You know how Black Dynamite is a sort of affectionate ode to Black Swatation? films it tries to replicate everything about black exploitation films even the way in which it's made dynamite <laughs> yeah yep. this is the same thing with 60s technical horror movies amazing and you know what <laughs> i love the hell out of it so the basic story is there is a witch named elaine uh played by i think her name's samantha robinson i don't really know her from anything and she's the girl you've seen on all the posters and all the images yes. with the with the raven hair and the uh, that sort of uh, audrey hepburn smile that yeah. she's got and the idea is that her uh, her husband has died under mysterious circumstances she's gone to try and make a new life for herself she's moved into a new house in california which happens to be styled in a sort of gothic victorian style because go figure there also happens to be a victorian tea room nearby because why not this is set by the way in the present day but oh is it it is but it looks like the 60s and everyone talks like the 60s and every now and again a character takes out an iphone just to give you just to give you a really jarring feeling 
and the idea is that she she's just she just wants to find a man and she uses witchcraft and and spells and spiritual spiritual trickery to supernatural trickery sorry to lure these men into her clutches and inadvertently kills them and each time she does it's driving her madder and madder until she eventually crosses paths with the police detective who is investigating all of these murders uh we have a clip of elaine and her friend discussing their romantic situations where were we (laughs) oh uh men you said we need to give them what they want well what do men want just a pretty woman to love and to take care of them and to make them feel like a man and to give them total freedom in whatever they want to do or be (laughs) but what about what we want How are we going to be equals with men if we keep catering to all of their needs? I think that if you want love, you have to give love. Giving men sex is a way of unlocking their love potential. You sound as if you've been brainwashed by the patriarchy. Your whole self-worth is wrapped up in pleasing a man. International Women's Day and we're reviewing The Love Witch. Just, you couldn't plan this stuff. You really couldn't. And here's the thing about it. It is very much for our time. Despite its period setting, despite the fact that it's set and stylized in the sort of 60s, 60s milieu, it, um, it has very much a sort of relevance for this day, this time, you know, post Emma Watson doing magazine spreads and, you know, very much of the gender politics of the now. And uh, it's stunning. It's stunning to witness. It's stylized so neatly. It's got the music down. It's got the, uh, the it's got this weird sort of presentational acting style, which in one sense kind of is the 60s and in another sense is very knowing and very meta. Uh, the performance in the middle of it all, Samantha Robinson, I think she's absolutely terrific. She's got genuine charisma there. She's got genuine screen appeal. And uh, she plays it like Morticia Adams by way of Alison Brie, if you can imagine such a, a, a wonderful combo. Um, but that's it. It's, it's this sort of Stepford Wives kind of a parody. It's this sort of Hitchcockian throwback at times. Other times it, it's it's beckoning for Italian horror cinema. Um, but it, it is bright. It is colourful. It is absolutely enthralling. And, yeah, you just, you really have to love it. It's one of those, it's going to become a cult favourite in the way that Black Dynamite did, and it deserves to be. I mean, I noticed you pulled up the images, and uh, rightly so, it's a very visually interesting film. But uh, I'm looking forward to seeing it again in the same way that I look forward to watching Black Dynamite about once a year. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen. And we're back. So, Mr. Allen, what we got now? Um, L. 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 Company L, but they smell. We've all heard the the limericks. Is it limerick or rhyme? I can never remember. Uh, A limerick would be five lines. Uh, It would be two long lines to begin with, and then two shorter lines, and then ending with a long line. This is too many rules, man. And then a rhyme could just... Be a rhyme. Do anything yeah. in time. That's fine, that's fine. Yeah. That was horrible, by the way. <laughs> you should feel bad. <laughs> Try to find a word that rhymes with horrible. <laughs> Incorrigible. I don't... Incorrigible? Incorrigible. Incorrigible. Oh, uh, well, true. Uh, okay. <laughs> I don't know, me in a world. So, L, this one comes mm. with controversy. And, of course, we know it mostly for, you know, its Oscar nomination. It was nominated for Best Actress. Yeah. Did it get any other any other nominations? Uh, no, it was just that one. Just that one. Um, it wasn't nominated for Best Foreign because there was some some kind of weird loophole 
Mm. Trickery. Remember, he couldn't be nominated for that. <laughs> Is it one of those? Yes, but Paul's made so many English movies. We just consider him as as English as American English now. That's yeah, some some of it makes a film like <laughs> yeah. like Showgirls. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Once you've made Showgirls, you don't get to to posit yourself as. Well, an once you make Showgirls, you never go something else. <laughs> See, <laughs> once you make Showgirls, you never go back. Yeah, I I can't mind. <laughs> Yeah, nothing rises with showgirls. So L, this one is mired in controversy though, because it largely revolves around largely mostly revolves around uh, sexual assault. And the idea is you've got Isabelle Huppert as um, she's uh, sort of a middle aged mother. She's kind of left to her own uh, own devices. Her son's left home. Uh, she's uh, she's divorced. Her ex husband has moved on. He's in a new relationship, and she is sexually assaulted in her home one night, um, and and becomes becomes understandably traumatized by the experience. The idea is that she then plays through, in her head, constant alternative scenarios where she manages to uh, to struggle struggle enough to fight back, to fight him off of her, um, and questions arising of whether or not she could potentially kill a man under the circumstances. But this all falls in line with a sort of paradigm, a shift in the paradigm of her own psychology anyway, because she's actually something of a sort of weird, sociable, sexual pariah. In that she's basically having it off with her uh, her best friend's husband, her best friend slash work partner's husband, and at the same time she's lusting after other men as well. And you've got all these relationships coming together as she's dealing with this trauma. She strikes up a friendship with uh, with a couple who live across the road from her as well, and it turns out that the it, it transpires that the uh, the man who assaulted her in the first place may not have entirely gone away and keeps reappearing in the neighbourhood. And uh, right, so there are. Um, there, there are controversies, as I say, and a large part of that controversy stems from, and you might agree with me on this one, it's not that it shouldn't be done in a film, it's that it has to be treated really, really delicately. And it is about the enjoyment of the loss of control, and that becomes a really, really touchy thing to do under any circumstances. When you've got Paul Verhoeven doing it, you start to get really, really scared about what it might involve. And because, we you know... Obviously, we know the, the the depths to which Basic Instinct, Showgirls, and all of his 80s films went, so this could go terribly wrong. But did you ever see Black Book, by the way? I've seen Black Books. <laughs> I've not seen Black Book. <laughs> there is no Bill Bailey in Paul Verhoeven's Black No Bill Bailey, no Dylan Moran. <laughs> yeah, once you've got rid of Bill Bailey, you lose case. Yeah. So, But uh, no, the, the thing about this all is it all hinges on Isabel Huppert. The writing is sharp, but Isabel Huppert is sharp enough in herself to really, really pull it off. And she does accurately i think portray the inner turmoil and and this this transitional period that this that this woman is going through it is a character study ultimately and it is a character study that also doubles neatly as a thriller for the first half and then just a straight drama for the second there are a couple of twists and turns and you will see them coming but you do step back and think actually there is something admirable about the way in which this film has been handled, particularly that it's coming from Paul Verhoeven, of all people, because nobody expects Paul Verhoeven to treat anything with any kind of sensitivity. So the idea that he has is almost mind-blowing. Isabel Huppert did deserve the Oscar nomination, by the way. I do think genuinely deserved it. Hmm. I mean, she turned up in that film with Gerard Depardieu last year, do you remember? The one, their son was... Oh, the, the French one. Yeah, the son had died, and he sent them on a... Oh, yeah. What's that called? Actually, do yeah. He sent them on like a, a a mission to like you know clues to follow after he died. I'll I'll look it up. I'm on IMDb. Calm down. But other than that, I don't know Isabel Huppert really. Like until a couple of years ago, uh, I'd never really heard of her. 
What you found? Well, I'm 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 just trying to find what film was called. Was it called Barrage? No, it wasn't Barrage. No. Was it Souvenir? Mm, maybe. Was it Le Fausse's Confidentials? No. Most terrible. Uh, <laughs> Tout de Suite Montenant. No. <laughs> was it Things to Come? There we go. <laughs> no, it wasn't. But you know was what? Was it Louder Than Bombs? No, it wasn't, because that was Jesse Eisenberg. That was the Jesse Eisenberg one. It doesn't matter, does it? No. She was in no, a film. No, it's neither here nor there. She was in a film with Gerard Depardieu, and it wasn't bad. That, that's all that matters. But uh, L... Oh, no, you're on time. Get me to have work, <laughs> listener. <laughs> Uh, but L is really, really impressive. But this is going to be one of those films that is going to divide people. They are either going to really respect it or they're going to hate the hell out of it. Mm. And the funny thing about it is the people that hate it aren't specifically women. There's no gender divide in terms of whether or not you like it or not. It just seems to be whether or not you think the film is taking its subject matter a little too brazenly. I didn't, and I thought it was somewhat bold for doing it, but... I can understand exactly why some people might have that opinion of it. I don't agree with it, but I understand it. So That's just like your opinion, man. <laughs> exactly. So do we need to finish the box office top ten? I think we do, don't we? I'm up for that. Let's do it. Number five. Moonlight. So this has gone back into the top ten. Yes, funny that, isn't it, Case? It's almost like we predicted it. It's almost like it's gotten repopularized all of a sudden. Yeah, so, uh, yeah, uh, Chiron. Yeah, he's good, isn't he? He's good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I really Black, like so. little whatever he wants to be called today. <laughs> hang on, he's little. Hang on, he's little when he's a he's, kid. He's little when he's a kid. Then when he's a slightly bigger kid, he is uh, Sharon. Oh again. right, okay. And then he is black as a adult. When man. he's an adult, he's called. Yeah. Which is weird because I would have assumed uh, Chiron was his adult name, but uh, obviously not having seen the film. But uh, yeah, yeah. when you see it, you're like okay. Mm, um, I do love this film though. Yeah, me too. It's Just uh, gorgeous to look at, isn't it? Yeah. It's so well acted. I love the three leads. There is a, a photo doing the rounds of the three uh, Chiron actors, by the way, mm. that I, I quite liked. Um, but uh, yeah, it, it deserved its uh, last-minute Oscar, we shall say. Yeah, <laughs> it really did. No, definitely. Notice La La Land has vacated the top ten, by the way. Mm. That's odd. But, uh, yeah, Mahershala Ali, though, he's the bomb in this. He is so good. In- I, can't, I can't believe Remy has an Oscar. I know. I'm so happy. Can you believe that? <laughs> yeah. Yeah, the- yeah. That that was the one time when I was watching the Oscars where I literally like punched the air. And I was like, <laughs> and I've, I've watched the Oscars with you. You do get into them. But, yeah, uh, I mean, it's it's because I spend the rest of the year just being fairly kind of bored and complacent by everything else. That's fair enough, and you shouldn't be complacent at all with Moonlight because it is genuinely brilliant and it should be seen. Number four, sing, sing, singing, singing animals are doing some singing. Okay, that's it. I feel like if you'd done it in the McConaughey accent. <laughs> <laughs> All right, okay, oh, sure. That's what he's saying. Um, you know what? It, it's it's just, this film isn't moving. I just want to be rid of no, things. it's really popular, isn't it? It's really popular. How many weeks has it been in now? Actually, not as many as Lion. It's been in there for six. For six Feels weeks. longer, doesn't it? does, it? doesn't it? Um, yeah. You know what? Celebrity cast, uh, singing animals, X Factor storyline... The kids are gonna like it. You're gonna chuckle along with it and enjoy the music that's in there. What's what's not to love, really? It is what it is, what it is, and you kind of know what it is in advance. Number three. So have you heard that Article Fifty is going to be triggered in a few weeks? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And that whole Brexit 
that, thing. That we're we're, we're yeah. going to have part of Britain being broken off and whatnot. Yeah, yeah, I heard that somewhere. Yeah. <laughs> grey, grey pound and all that. And mm-hmm. all people have told us what we can do and what we can't do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're yeah. going, well, uh, Viceroy's house is at number three. That's good to know, isn't it? Yeah, Viceroy's house made it in some... So, which is basically the partition of India by way of upstairs, downstairs. It is Downton Does India. It is... <laughs> That's the thing. It, it, it's this weird combination of period piece Downton style drama with uh, the best, the, the design aesthetic of the best exotic marigold hotel. There's a weird romance subplot crowbarred in the background as well. There's a weird political plot uh, crowbarred in the other other side of it with Michael Gambon. And you spend the whole film just looking at it, confused, thinking, "I'm not sure which bit I'm supposed to be following here." Uh, what's the anchor point? Where am I anchored with this? Am I anchored in the, the political story and the romance is just gravy? Or am I supposed to be, you know, interested in the romance and the political story is just going on in the background? You've, you've not Pearl Harbor this one enough for me. I know Pearl Harbor is a war movie that happens to feature a, a romance. You, you've not made this clear. Michael Bay has outdone you. And that's really horrible to say to Gurinder Chada. Is that romance in Pearl Harbor between uh, Cuba Gooding Jr. and his giant gun? No, that is romance that, is, is between Alec romance. Baldwin and a Hawaiian shirt. You know this. Uh, of course. <laughs> Gentlemen, next time leave your goddamn hula shirts at home. <laughs> oh, remember when he was that good? Number two. Darkness. No parents. Speaking of, and referring back to Mr. Baldwin. Yes. Do you think that Alec Baldwin is the best Bruce Wayne slash Batman that we never had? Yes, I, yeah. I absolutely do. We were robbed of that. with some power of the world. He's number one. Yeah. Number two for me is Gabriel Mucked. Uh, yeah, I can see that. Yeah, and I'll go with that until the day I die. Yeah, but well, that's pretty fantastic, Batman as well. So Lego Batman the movie. Have you or seen Lego Batman movie? There is a meme doing the rounds of Sad Affleck. A meme. Oh yes, I have. Yeah, I've seen. And you've got yeah. Lego Batman on one side of him, uh, Chris Evans on the other, um, and huge. Hugh Jackman. Huge and they're Jackman. All, they're all laughing at Sad Affleck, and they've got their uh, their Rotten Tomato scores. <laughs> yeah, they're all like ninety plus, <laughs> yeah. and he's like twenty six or whatever. <laughs> well, that's absolutely true. And uh, you know what? I wouldn't be surprised if Ben Affleck did actually see the Lego Batman movie and had that expression, because the Lego Batman movie shows you what you can do with a Batman movie. And that's it's shocking that it took Lego to do this. Because after Christopher Nolan, you think, okay, there is there is room to go into slightly more fantastical area here. They didn't quite do that. They doubled down on the gritty, grim dark aesthetic, and it's taken Lego to bring us back to something actually enjoyable. And it is enjoyable, it is funny, it does love Batman, it does love the mythology, it does play with it. It's got the perfect voice cast, it's got the perfect tone, the perfect energy, and the perfect style. And I don't know about you, but I'm really excited to see Chris McKay move on to which one is he doing next? He's yeah. doing Nightwing. Nightwing. I'm excited to see what he does with that, because if he can bring even half the energy to live action that he did animation, we're safe. I want Dev Patel to be Nightwing. Oh, God, that's good casting. Mm. Number one. Logan. <laughs> did you expect that? Of course Did I you did. actually expect I that? I know you so well. <laughs> <laughs> well, you've seen it now. Please enlighten us. It's good, isn't it? It's good, yeah, isn't it? I, yeah. like, I like it a great deal. Um, it's... Yeah, uh, I didn't. I mean, the thing I was most surprised by, I didn't think that Stephen Merchant was going to have his his regular accent. Oh yeah, and he did, and that just made me enjoy it even more. Kind of does, doesn't it? Yeah. The thing I like about, it, and it's one of those things that it's it's only occurred to me in hindsight, is that the violence in it is really, really brutal. But yeah, <laughs> the the reason it's as effective as it is is because the scenes in between your your set pieces are really quiet, somber, dramatic affairs. Mm. 
And I really love that it just leaps from one extreme to the to other. Another, yeah, it's really, really quiet. And, uh, yeah, it's really, really quiet. And yeah. then it's slash and dash. Yeah, no, it no. took me a good hour after I saw the film to place in my mind mm. where that dad was from. You know, the dad in the family. Oh, Eric LaSalle. Yeah, from he's ER. from ER. Yeah. I was, I was watching the film. I was like, he's good, but where do I know him from? Uh, ER. Benton? Dr. Yeah. Benton? Yeah. Is, I can't remember if I was his first name or second name, but yeah, yeah, Eric LaSalle. Eric LaSalle, um, yeah. I loved uh, Patrick Stewart in this film. I thought he was so it's good. Amazing. And do, do you see what I mean about him actually getting to do something different with Xavier for a change? The idea that Xavier isn't... Yeah, well, he's, he's just, he's angry and he's also yeah. senile now. and Having some some actual anger, but also having some wit about him as well. Having having some some bizarre fun with it all, but Daphne Keane. So this good. Is, this is a, is the first film. This is her first it? one. I'm, I'm not sure. So. I think she's a relative so. newcomer, at least. Yeah. Uh, Daphne Keane as Laura uh, X23, whatever. She's great. Yeah. Uh, Boyd Holbrook is really good as well. Do you know, do you know what he really, remi- he, he really reminds me of Sam Rockwell about 20, 25 years ago? Oh, really? Because I looked at him and thought, oh, you're a manlier Tom Felton. But uh, it's the hair, isn't <laughs> it? You're not the only person that said that. But I feel like I'm, I'm talking about actual, like, his his yeah. character and demeanour and not just fight he's got blonde hair. And that's it. It's a shame that Sam Rockwell was wasted on a Marvel movie when he was, because something like this he would have been perfect for. Mm. But uh yeah, um and you know what, hats off to Hugh Jackman, because he's done the unthinkable. He has managed to see this character through to the the bitter narrative end. And it works. Because I don't think we need any more Wolverine movies. I mean they're obviously gonna recast him and he's still gonna appear in in other films, but I don't think we need any more. No. I'm I'm content I, I wish this was it. I think if if they, if they had actually done Gambit, and if Gambit was like as beloved as a Still Wolverine happening, is, apparently, uh, I believe it when I see it. Yeah, exactly. It's better with like you Tron know, Ascension, Tron Ascension, Bill and Ted Free. He's in that locker somewhere <laughs> in Powers space. Four. Austin Powers yeah. Four when he goes to the eighties. Yeah, uh, Beetlejuice goes Hawaiian. Must, must be we go tropical. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> it's it's kind of there for me. That but, Black um, Mirror movie. Remember the one I Robert, think that is going to happen. Robert yeah. Downey Jr. bought it. He's done nothing with it. Uh, yeah, it was uh, a Toby Cable episode, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Yeah, yeah. but uh, yeah, final word on this. It's great. Hugh Jackman is amazing. With the latest film news and reviews, this is Offscreen, the on-screen radio show. And we're back and dancing. So, uh, well, we've saved the biggie for last. Mm. And uh, because uh, you know, I know, I know you so desperately want to see this because it stars two favorite people in the world: it stars Ms. Larson and Mr. Goodman. So, Mr. You know, Goodman, Mr. Goodman. Uh, by the way, I did send you the image of a few, <laughs> yes, a few Goodman. Yes, and, uh, <laughs> <laughs> it, it made me chortle. I thought, I thought that would somehow. So, yes, Kong Skull Island, which is sort of is retroactively been it's sort of not retroactively, but the eleventh hour, it's been made into part of a cinematic universe with Godzilla. Yeah, we can announce that like last year sometime. Yeah, the film yeah. was already underway, and then they decided, you know what? Now it's now it's Godzilla Part Two. Yes, because then they announced it was going to be a Kong versus Godzilla yeah. monster mash, if you will. And if you're willing to stick around when everyone else has left the cinema, there are hints to that effect. This actually takes place before Godzilla, though. This takes place in the 1970s. And uh, in a way that might actually try your patience a little bit, because they go really heavy with the 70s soundtrack. What you've got is... uh, you remember the Monarch organisation in Godzilla? Uh, vaguely. Oh, is that, is it Ju- I don't want to say Juliet Stevenson. I just remember just being. I just wanted to just wait around for some actual monsters. <laughs> no, well they, <clears throat> they've got you covered. <clears throat> but you remember the monic organisation that Ken Watanabe worked for? In uh, <laughs> you mean 
Let them fight. Yeah. Remember Ken Watanabe? His entire function in life was simply to stand on the deck of ships, stare off into the middle distance, yeah. and then mutter things like, let them fight. To yeah. himself. And, and to say Godzilla. Go, yeah, Go- Gojira. <laughs> because they always like to, they always like so to say good. it in that way that could just as easily be Gojira. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Which there is a gag in the 98 version about. <laughs> right, so the idea is that organisation, this is them in the 70s, and they are, their head is John Goodman. His second in command is Corey Hawkins. And on the day that America announces it's going to be withdrawing from Vietnam, John Goodman goes into, uh, goes into the, the, you know, the government funding uh, office of whatever senator it is and says, we found this island, it could have anything on it, we could change the world, can we go please? And they say yes, and he says, by the way, I need a military escort. So, you then got all the military forces who are about to pull out of Vietnam, including Samuel Jackson's platoon. Have a guess who Samuel Jackson's second in command is by the way um i did know this is it is it uh, john ortiz no it's toby kebbell oh yeah right. yeah because of course it is because it's a film on a day ending in y so it's toby kebbell and also <clears throat> there's some severe mocapping going on oh, i feel yeah. like he may have because <laughs> when, cause when you can't get andy circus yeah. <laughs> right so this is the idea then <clears throat> so uh samuel jackson's platoon get an 11th hour task to escort them to the island uh, along for the ride is a former sas commander played by tom hiddleston you've got a photojournalist played by brie larson who just happened to be in that part of the world covering the war they all go along to the island and wouldn't you know it <clears throat> it turns out they're not alone on the island every mythical creature it turns out has roots in reality and we have these sort of dinosaur-like creatures who threaten to consume the world and the only thing holding them at bay is the storm that surrounds the island and on the island itself kong the king of the island a mountain-sized ape and it also turns out however there are also humans on the island who have under their protection a crashed fighter pilot from world war ii played by john c Riley, and that's where this clip comes from yeah you smell that that's death What the hell is this place? This is what's left of Kong's parents. I've taken enough photos of mass graves to recognize one. The crash site's just on the other side of this valley. We'll cross through and make it to the highest point west. Uh-uh. This place is a real no-no, sir. We need to be going to the north side right now. And you're welcome to do that, my man. By yourself. I'm not leaving Jack out there. Now, who's with me? We can make it. You might be right we can make it. Now stay sharp, keep an eye out. I've only been here 28 years, what do I know? So, but the basic setup for this one is all these creature features on an island kind of thing, they've just borrowed elements from every single one, slapped it all together in something new, they've given it the opening credits from the Godzilla remake in 2014 <clears throat> so it is visibly uh, set in the same sort of universe and it wears its influences so proudly on its sleeve that you, you can't fault it for that. Um, on the cast front... You know, everyone's doing sort of their level best. Samuel L. Jackson's, you know, kind of phoning it in, but Samuel L. Jackson's phoning it in is still perfectly deep, okay. Deep Blue Sea in it. Yeah, Deep Blue Sea, deep blue sea performance, exactly. Uh, John Goodman is playing John Goodman version, you know, 7B from the John Goodman playbook of uh, sympathetic yet slightly sleazy characters. Uh, Brie Larson has evidently cashed in that Oscar for the chance to be this year's Jungle Hottie in an impractical white vest. Uh, Tom Hiddleston doesn't really have a character to speak of, but you know what? He looks so buff in his tight T-shirt. You just can't you can't fault him for that. You know, he's, he's, he's got the look. He's got the, the slick back blonde hair. Fine. Um, the week- yeah, Taylor, did you hear that? <laughs> he looks great. 
<laughs> Bring back Hiddle Swift. <laughs> but um, the weak link in the cast front is Corey Hawkins, who is just so out of his depth. In the same way that he is on 24 on TV. But he's out of his depth here. And you start thinking, you've got no none of the required charisma for this. And yet, the film leaves you in such a way that he can feasibly stay with this as a franchise. Which is terrifying. John C. Riley's a lot of fun, though. I've got to give him that. But the big thing is, it's a ride. And it's a ride that uh, Jordan Voigt-Roberts... Is it Voigt-Roberts, by the way? Uh, that's what I've been, I've been going with. Because yeah. it's spelled V-O-G-T. Yeah. yeah. So Jordan Voigt-Roberts, who I don't know his previous work, you might. What I do. Uh, Kings of Summer, isn't it? That's it. Thank yeah. you. Yeah. I knew there was, I knew was a sort of indie film. That's good. the Nick Offman one, isn't it? Uh, and uh, Megan Mullally. Yes. And, um, is Thomas Mann in that as well? I or am I confusing so. him with like another one of us? Boys, I, I lad, think lad so. Uh, it's either him or it's Ty Sheridan. I can't tell offhand. Yeah, <laughs> like I feel like you could interchange those I, two. I like them both. Right? Yeah, but uh, John Voight Roberts and uh, his cinematographer on this is Larry Fong, who brought us. Uh, do you remember Batman? Well, obviously, you remember Batman Superman. Um, but he's mercifully. Up- I, I, I don't remember. Well, he's dropped his game thankfully since then because it was so forgettable that you can't remember it. But uh, uh, Nick Robinson from Jurassic World. Jurassic World. Yes, yeah, right. that's what I'm thinking of. And it, it does work. So the visuals and everything, it does genuinely work. It doesn't try to reach any of the more po-faced, highbrow terrain that Peter Jackson went for, and it's kind of merc- it's kind of merciful that it does. Okay. Um, I I liked that. I remember I, I like it, but I thought King it was Kong. too serious for its own good. It's I very thought. long. <laughs> it's very long. Yeah, yeah. It's about four days long. But, but, it's, but it's kind of it's a bit like Superman Returns. What that was to the Dick Donner Superman. It's yeah, just, it's almost like a shot for shot. It is kind of love letter, isn't it? Uh, apart, I, from, apart from dinosaurs, I got drunk uh, Christmas two thousand five and accidentally wandered into a screening of King Kong. Did you not pay for the ticket? No, no, I did pay for the ticket, but I, oh, uh, drunk, but you know. Oh, tr- drunk, but yeah. I'm, I'm still going to go to the box office and queue like a regular person. Yeah, um, I'm not an animal. <laughs> exactly, you know. That's what separates us from the animals, man. <laughs> well, the ability to purchase but, tickets uh, for films. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I'll be honest, I think I lasted about 40 minutes and then drunkenly fell asleep, right. so thanks for that, Peter Jackson. But I was also stranded in Luton for the rest of the night, but... Uh, yeah, I know, but never mind. Um, right, we're going to have to edit that, because this goes out in Luton. <laughs> Sorry, Luton. Shout out to everyone in Luton. <laughs> Big up, Luton, massive. Um, the problem with it really is that it doesn't have characters. The film simply doesn't have any characters. Um, the 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 actors are there to literally run across grassy plains or through bits of jungle, and every now and again, one of them gets as if mandated a character monologue in which they reveal their backstory to you. Tom Hiddleston is particularly affected by this. He literally gets to stand and say. So my father went off to war and blah, blah, blah. I don't care. Like, if this is all the characterization you're getting, I genuinely don't care. Where is uh, his character from? Oh, he's, S- he's SAS. He's British. Okay. Right. Yeah. yeah. And, uh, and there's a weird moment where they seem to imply that he kind of knows Brie Larson, but they can't make up their minds whether or not he does. And mm. you just sit there looking at this whole film thinking, hang on, you won Best Actress. Why is your job here literally to photograph things and fire a flare? What the hell? And, yeah, that's that's what Best Actress gets you in a mainstream tentpole blockbuster. And that's kind of depressing. <laughs> I mean, genuinely, John Goodman's got a bigger role than, uh, than uh, Brie Larson. Corey Hawkins has a bigger role than Brie Larson. John C. Riley has a bigger role than Brie Larson. All right, right. it's all good. One down. of those three's won an Oscar. 
Put your embolism back in. <laughs> John Goodman's never even been nominated for an Oscar. Has he not? No. I thought he won an Oscar. No, it's it's he's he's one of those actors. It's like him, Steve Buscemi, Sam Rockwell, just most people Why you feel you like they should have. Wait, has Sam Rockwell been nominated? <laughs> never been nominated. You're kidding me. Never been nominated. Oh, you're the Oscars guy. I mean, I, I just I assumed. But wow. Yeah. Anyway, so the whole thing is, uh, it's not our film of the week. That's that's the sad reality. Of it. It's it's an okay film. Of the week. It's an okay film this week, but there's there's better ones. I would wholeheartedly recommend The Love Witch, although I think most people be better off with Catfight. But mm. eh, swings and roundabouts. So next week is uh, another uh, interesting uh, ensemble. Next week uh, I'm going to invite you to be our guest, Mr. Allen. Okay, <laughs> I will. I will begrudgingly accept. begrudgingly be our guest because Beauty and the Beast, of course, is here. Yay! And it's going to be. The, I am looking forward to it's it. It's going to be the biggest thing ever, isn't it? It's going to make all the money because it's going to make that millennial nostalgia. Money. Oh god, that's yeah. what it's going to make. But uh, I'm taking my sister to the press show with me because she, 20, ah, 25 years ago oh, she drove me insane with Beauty and the Beast. Yeah, that, that is right in, in her wheelhouse. Oh, god, yeah. Well, she used to work in the Disney store hilariously. Really? Yeah. Huh. But uh, we've also got the Olive Tree. We've got Wolves at the Door. We've got Age of Shadows. We've got uh, Personal Shopper with uh, it's Kristen, Kristen Stewart. Stewart. Yeah. Uh, we've got The Salesman, which a uh, little bit of notoriety there. Yeah, that won an Oscar. Won an Oscar, and its its director, of course, protested by not showing up. Yeah, good man. Uh, we've also got Gleason, and most importantly of all, a film I know you and I are both really excited about. Get Out. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to see it on my birthday. <laughs> I know. I can't wait. <laughs> I can't wait. Either Jordan Peele's directorial debut, and apparently it's amazing. Everyone, every critic in the US has said it's amazing. Yeah, I believe it's still got 100%. Is on, it still 100%? On Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, it's gone up then. Last I checked, it was 99. Oh, maybe it just gone. It had slipped by one. Oh, I no. Guess, no but... Well, I think that was like the first day it was at 99. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I suppose why it's 100, but. Oh, man. I mean. I am so excited for it, but even more so, I am so excited to see Bradley Whitford in that kind of a film. I know, me too. Is it Catherine Keener's his wife? Yeah. I can't wait for this. I need it. And the one person from Girls that I like. Uh, yeah, me too. Yeah. And also, who should, should have been Sue Storm in a better Fantastic Four movie? Oh. But, uh, you know, we can all dream. What could have been? Yep. So, we've got all those to come uh, next week, off screen. And uh, in the meanwhile, please get on to uh, BritishPodcastAwards.com and vote for us in the listener vote. Uh, listener vote. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, because we really, we really, really would like an award. Yeah. That'd be nice. <laughs> we'll just have it on the desk. Yeah, we'll have it on the desk with us. We'll pose for pictures with it. We've mm. done 84 episodes of this, you know. Um, have we actually? We've actually done 84 episodes of Offscreen. I have obviously... I've aged. I didn't have a beard at the start of this, <laughs> and now I'm like Gandalf. <laughs> you didn't have a beard, you didn't have glasses. And yeah. Your shirts used to be, like, crisp and, and pressed. And um, now I'm like John C. Riley and Conk. <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. All those next week off screen. I've been Van Connor. And I have been Case Allen. And we'll be back. Just show me the way to get out of here, and I'll be on my way. You've been listening to Offscreen. For more news and reviews, visit onscreenfilm.com. Extra podcasty bit, then, Van. <laughs> Are you trying to jazz up the term podcast extras? Yeah, um, if I tried to say everything like a 1960s uh, beat poet. Fair Sounds enough. Beats a grizzled 1890s prospector, Dagnabbit. Yep. But, uh... <laughs> um, so, uh, Omar Little on The Wire, a.k.a. Michael K. Williams? Michael Kenneth Williams. Ah. I don't know if he's... 
go in by the full name or just I see him as Michael K a lot. Michael K, yeah. Uh, He's going to be uh, in the Han Solo film. Yeah, I heard this. Yeah, uh, he may be the villain. And that'd be amazing. Oh, man, that'd be good. Yeah. You know, if we've got Walton Goggins is going to be in the villain uh, over in uh, in Tomb Raider, Mm. Michael K. Williams could be in the villain on Han Solo. That'd be be just gravy. Yeah. That'd be awesome. They make amazing bad guys. They do, don't they? But, uh, yeah, Michael K. Williams, he... Did he do the RoboCop remake? I want to say. Uh, that, yeah, he? he was. In, he was his partner, wasn't he? Yes, he was the new uh, Nancy Allen. Yeah, but I mean, they, they look they look the same, <laughs> so, don't they? Yeah, they totally do. Talk about typecasting. <laughs> I totally saw my Kent Wilson thought, yeah, you were great in Carrie, but uh, you know, as you do. But uh, yeah, the Hansel, we've still not got a title on this, have we? No, I really hope they give us one soon because it's just really awkward to say the young Hansel. Yeah, film. I think there's a Star Wars celebration coming up in a couple months, isn't there? So it, it could be there, or we'll, we'll wait until Last Jedi is out. And, and, yeah, and that'll be that because, uh, yeah. Well, you know, we're getting a Last Jedi trailer with. Well, is it not D23? It's the Star Wars celebration thing in April. That's right? April, isn't it? Yeah. And Guardians comes out in April. So Ah, yes. So we should Synergy. <laughs> Funny how these things line up, isn't it? Isn't it? It's like it was planned. I know. But, yeah. uh... Uh, right, Disney are wanting to reboot a certain franchise. Okay. They wanted to reboot Tron. Oh, I heard this. It's awful. With Jared Leto. Or Jared uh... Leto. Or... You know, Warner gets his face kicked in by Edward Norton in Fight Club. <laughs> You're too blonde. <laughs> oh, I love that scene. It's satisfying, isn't it? It's like it's like opening a new packet of coffee. Satisfying. It is. It is. It really is. <laughs> <laughs> and I, I equate it to uh, the first time you open a fresh box of cereal, mm. like that. That to me. Yeah. yeah. And you know when you realise you're an adult, so you can just reach down and pull the toy out in advance. Yeah, I realised yeah. I was an adult when I could have Cocoa Pops at, like, midnight. Oh, Cinnamon Grahams for me. Oh, yeah. Do you say Grahams or Cinnamon Grahams? How do people say Gra- Grahams? Grahams. I, 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 I say Grahams because uh, yeah. there's, a, there's a H in well, it. Well, aren't they now just curiously <laughs> to, to, cinnamon? To, to quote uh, Eddie Azard. Quote Eddie Azard. Yeah. But there's no, a, there's now, an F in H in it. They're now called uh, curiously cinnamon, and I'm, I'm intrigued as I mean, to why it's curious. He's curious if we change the name. Yeah that's, yeah, that's curious, but they're curiously cinnamon. Don't know why. <laughs> <laughs> if they were, like, curiously arsenic, like, uh, I'd, be, I'd be more curious. It's like there's, uh, there's, there's a, a new sort of uh, a smaller version of Costa that's opened called Costa Pronto, which I okay. can't help but think inadvertently implies that a regular Costa is slow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, bit weird that yeah. one, isn't it? It's like the it? Tesco Express. Yeah. yeah, like, was Tesco slow to begin and with? And Tesco Metro. Yeah, like, okay. yeah. Well, Tesco Metro, you got a very diverse hiring policy here. What's the? Why is where it Metro? does that come from? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Where's the Metro? You've just from? heard of a word, haven't you? you just... They they just really like that Eddie Murphy movie. Metro. And... <laughs> <laughs> Do you remember that movie? I used to really like that movie. Yeah, which one was Metro? Metro was where he was the hostage negotiator, and he had to train Michael Rappaport. Yes. Yeah. It was. Terrible, but I loved it. Can you remember the time Michael Rappaport was in films? <laughs> yeah, yeah, I remember that. Isn't he now like a, a, a freaky Republican on Twitter? Yeah, he's a bit weird. Yeah, that's a shame. He's gone the Stephen Baldwin route. That's what it is. Yeah. But, <laughs> he was always the, the lesser of the Baldwins. <laughs> well, no, no, Daniel was oh, the yeah, lesser Daniel, of the Baldwins, yeah. let's be honest. That's, actually, there was a thing recently that Daniel Baldwin has an ungodly number of, film, of IMDb credits to his name. Like a, a, Let's have a way look. bigger number than you think. You think of Daniel Baldwin as having been in like fifteen films? No, so I like, often forget that Daniel Baldwin is even a Baldwin. But he he is. He's 
he's the roller caller Baldwin, to be fair, but he's not prime Coke Zero Baldwin. But... Um, 128 credits to his name. Yeah. You didn't expect that for a second, did you? 128. Oh. Uh, how many is Eric Roberts on now? Because Eric Roberts <laughs> has an absolutely stupid oh, number. Oh, it is a stupid... It is like Christopher Lee levels. Yeah. Eric Roberts has Eric Roberts has been in something like three times as many films as his sister, the Oscar winning Julia Roberts. It's amazing. And I don't know but he himself been nominated for an Oscar. How did he win I mean, for? I, I guess like when you've been in that many films, it's like his law of averages, isn't it? <laughs> it is. If you fling enough at the dartboard, yeah, something will hit the balls out. Uh, Runaway Train from nineteen eighty five. Not a clue. Which no, was though. nominated for three Oscars. Uh, two escaped convicts and a female railway uh, worker finding themselves trapped on a train with no brakes and nobody driving. That sounds incredible. That sounds like the plot of Unstoppable. Uh, John Voight. Eric Roberts and Rebecca De Mornay. Oh man, I love me some eighties De Mornay, man. I just makes me think of that Ricky Gervais, Carl Pilkerton thing. Have you seen that? No. He's <laughs> Carl Pilkerton is trying to like pitch a film, so, yeah. And he said, "I would, I would cast uh, Clive Warren. Clive Owen is someone who doesn't exist. He f- he's thinking of Clive Owen <laughs> <laughs> and, and Rebecca De Mornay. And Steve Merchant says, "So you're trying to pitch a film with a woman that's not been a film for 15 years and a man that doesn't f-ing exist?" True. Um, what was Rebecca De Mornay? Rebecca De Mornay was. I in remember the, from uh, uh, Three Musketeers. That's I what I know of. Three Musketeers. But most, I think the most recent thing I saw her in, she turned up in the uh, what was going to be the sort of setup for for uh, Boston Legal. Really? Yeah. When Dan- he was on the Danny practice. Crane, Danny Crane, Danny Crane. When they were on the practice setting up that spin-off, she's part of the William Shatner law team. But uh, yeah, I remember from uh, Hamlet Rocks the Cradle more than anything else. <clears throat> right then, so including films are <laughs> yet to be released. Are, are filming in post-production and in pre-production. He's got nine of those, hasn't he? No, he's got about 50. Like seriously, <laughs> 50. Just like on on the burner. He's got he's got many stoves. <laughs> it, w- it would appear. Uh, so yeah, including all those, uh, four hundred and fifty-four credits. Wow. <laughs> so chances are, if you've ever seen any film, you've seen, you've Eric, seen Roberts. Eric Roberts. <laughs> Although the smartest thing he ever did is uh, is in The Dark Knight, of course, and pretty much everybody is, alive uh, has um, seen The Dark Knight. Uh, Maroni, isn't he? Yeah, but isn't he the villain of the first Expendables as well? Yes. Yeah, I thought so. It's him and the dude from Dexter. They're the villains. Uh, they are indeed. So let me talk real quick then about Dancer because there's not an awful lot to say on this one. It's a uh, it's a ballet documentary. Well, ballet. It's a, it's a dance documentary. It's the story of Sergei Polonin, the bad boy of the ballet who you know rather spectacularly dropped out a few years ago. He's the youngest ever lead dancer for the for the ballet, and um, well, okay. So the basic gist is, and the film the film comes to us with there's a lot of rock music in it. It, it's heavily stylized. There's a lot of a lot of uh, Black Sabbath. There's a lot of like hardcore rock in there, and it's, it's put to traditional dance. The idea is that uh, Sergei Polnin himself is a bit of a rebel. He's a bit. He's, he he likes his recreational drugs. He likes his heavy nights with three, four beautiful women at a time, and he's just a terrific dancer. He is the Tony Stark of dancers. So it's fitting that the movie begins with the song Iron Man. Um, we have a clip describing his his own role model. West and East, there are two separate worlds. So when I went to Russia, I had to build my name from the beginning. Igor was a father figure. I think that was an easy path for Sergei to accept after his father was away 
and his family was broken. So it's a real by-the-numbers one. It's uh, <laughs> It starts off by saying, he's a bad boy, he's a rebel, he likes, you know, drugs, alcohol and women. Doesn't show you any of that at all. Doesn't particularly talk to him about that. It's, it's a real by-the-numbers. So I was born on day A, and then uh, during month B, I moved to so-and-so. And uh, in week C, I graduated and became a dancer. And yeah, and that's basically it. I mean, it's it's a mercifully short kind of ninety-minute uh, made-for-TV. Doc- you can see this being one of those sort of sub ESPN type documents. You know, we had one last week. What was the one last week we had? ESPN doc. Can't remember. It was. Um, wasn't it the one about the guy? From a place, and then one, <laughs> the woman was there, and she she was like, "Oh, I, t- um, I tell you what, Eric uh, Roberts was in it. Eric <laughs> Roberts was in it. Eric Roberts yeah. was in it. Chances are, I can't, I can't remember. I, f- I find it hard to remember films sometimes. Oh, uh, there were so many. You are so an award winning, award nominated critic. <laughs> I know. I feel like it's from my mumbly, almost Harrison Ford like. <laughs> Don't, because we're going to get to Harrison Ford later. <laughs> we're going to get to Harrison Ford's mumbling Star Wars. later. But, uh, no, this is the thing. I mean, it's one of those, it's obviously going to have its fans, and those fans are going to be heavily involved in dance themselves. I mean, because mm-hmm. everything I see gets logged on my uh, my app, and my app, for some reason, keeps posting to Facebook. Um, so I actually had a dancer friend message me about this film and ask if it was any good. Mm-hmm. I went, I'll be honest, <clears throat> it was all right, but I didn't learn anything particularly other than this man was born, went to school, became a dancer, and then one day stopped being a dancer. I know nothing of the man because the film stopped short of showing it me. Although, you know, it was really nice to to see and everything. Um, there's a, a vid- famous YouTube video of Sergei Pornin dancing to Take Me to Church by the... by Hosier. Hosier, yeah. You, have you seen the video? I, no. I had a passing familiarity with it. It's basically ballet done to that song. Hmm. And it was huge on YouTube. That is included. But that seems to have been included as his creative peak, as this sort of this is what you'll know him for and you're like yeah but the whole point is you're supposed to educate us on where we should know him from not where we do and it, it falls a little short the mark for me there it's uh, by Stephen Cantor of all people as well but uh, I don't know anyway film news me film news me come on uh, news me news me news me news me baby Travis Knight he's a guy Travis Knight is the guy that wasn't he one of the writers on Pursuit Room was he I'm sure. Oh, let's have a look. Let's have a look. I'm, I'm pretty sure. Let's have a look. Right, whilst you're looking that up, Travis Knight is uh, the CEO of Leica. Oh, no, he's not. No, different guy then. Sorry. Different Travis Knight. <laughs> different Travis Knight, <laughs> yes. He, he's the CEO of Leica. Yeah. He is the director of Kubo. Uh, he is, yes. Yeah, that's what he made his uh, first uh, film. Yeah. As you do, yeah. Uh, yeah totally. De- yeah. De- debut. And also, he is the heir to the Nike fortune. He is indeed. Which is incredible. He's, his dad is Mr. Nike. It was Travis Beecham, by the way. Sorry. Of course. Yeah. You just saw Travis. I just saw Travis. I yeah. just thought, why yeah, is it he's, always he's, rain he's, on he's, me? He's, he's not he's not the for Blink. For Blink-22, <laughs> either. <laughs> He's not the character from Clueless. It's he's not all the good. character from Clueless. Good. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> uh, yeah, his, his, his dad is Mr. Nike. He is, or whatever yeah. his surname is. I was yeah. shocked to find that out. That's such a, a weird sort of bit of trivia, isn't it? Yeah. So he got some money from his dad and was like, I would like to buy a animation company. And then Leica were all the way around and he uh, part-funded them. Fair really enough. Cool. And do you know what? I don't think we can argue with the results. No, you can't. He's clearly got a love for what oh, we do. quite clearly. I don't think anyone's faulting Kubo anytime soon. No, but God, no. no. But uh, he's in the news because he's been tapped to direct a certain spin-off 
of uh, yeah, of course you know this mm. of the Transformers franchise. <laughs> so he's going to be doing the uh, Bumblebee standalone film for reasons unbeknownst to me. Yeah, I can't figure out what else because he can't be doing it for the money, can he? I don't like know. this, the, this got to be script. some kind of lateral move. Yeah, there is a script, <laughs> so I can only imagine the script must be amazing. Like, yeah, has to be. I mean. Prove me, prove me wrong. I, I really want like show me an amazing Bumblebee film. Oh yeah, I mean just show me an amazing Transformers movie, and I'll be, <laughs> I'll be happy. In fact, I, I, I'll lower that bar. Show me a half decent Transformers movie. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the first one was arguably all right. Mm. The second one is basically a crime against cinema. The third one is like constructing. Do you, do you say the first one was all right? All right. Oh, everyone said. I feel like the right. entire world is a first Transformers film like apologist. It, 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 party. Well, no, the thing is, it's retro- retroactively all right because of everything that bad that comes make... after it. Oh, the first one. That's like saying, "Oh, World War One was just terrible," but then compared to World War Two, actually, it's tiny, tiny moments, Com- isn't it? Compared to World War Two, good times were had. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Christmas Day, we had a laugh. Your your uh, your logic is not sound. No, yeah. um, I feel like if you lost uh, what's his name, if you lost uh, Simmons, Agent Simmons' character, John Turturro, if you lost right, John yeah. Turturro and the line "Bumblebee, stop lubricating that man," the film could <laughs> actually have stood a chance. But you know what? I let those things slide, and then what happened? We got Revenge of the Fallen. Was John Turturro in the first three? First three, yes. I know, I know, it's, it's shocking, isn't it? What are you doing, Barton, I think? Yeah, but don't forget, in the third one, he gets Alan Tudyk as his personal assistant and valet. Oh, Alan of, of the two d***s. Yeah, Alan of the two d***s. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but no, I'm I, I, I an apologist for the first Transformers, but uh, I will settle for seeing a half-decent Transformers movie, I'll be honest. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm i a fan of Cade. I like I like K. Diego, <laughs> and his and his brilliant his brilliant description of himself. My name's K. Diego. I'm an inventor. I'm an inventor <laughs> from Texas. Apparently, he must sound like a from Boston. Here's my underage daughter. Please shoot between her. Please shoot the lens between her thighs, which is just mortifying. I was so surprised when I saw uh, is it, uh, Jack Jack Re- Jack Rayner. Jack Rayner, yeah. yeah. When I saw him in Sing Street, and yeah. he's great in that. He is, isn't he's he? So good. No woman can truly love a man who listens to Phil Collins. Yeah, such a good line. <laughs> That's the defining line of that film. Absolutely. But, oh, man. No, he was also in uh, A Royal Night Out, incidentally. He was the I've love still interest. not seen that. I keep meaning to see it, because I, uh, I recently watched uh, all of Netflix The Crown. Ah, yes. And I really enjoyed that. So now I just I want to get me some, some royal royal drama. I know someone that worked on the special effects for that. Do you really? Yeah. Do you know what? Some of the effects are really, really good. There's, I've not seen any of them. There's an entire episode based around this giant fog that apparently descended on london and caused madness for like a week and people people lost their lives there was just chaos and i knew nothing about it i didn't know this i never heard of this like other than seeing it in the crown i was just like what all right you've sold me in three weeks time i will try and watch it try and watch it's definitely worth a watch i feel like your your good lady would enjoy it i do you know what i feel like i feel like this weekend is all about season two of love Yes, that comes out on next, Friday, doesn't next it? Next yeah. weekend is going to be uh, season one of Iron Fist. That has come around so oh, fast. Yeah. Uh, and then the weekend after that, I will try the crown. I feel like Netflix is like the ambassador from that Ferrero Rocher advert, and we are being truly spoiled. Oh, yeah. Do you know their, their, their production budget now is $6 billion. Yeah, which is why we can go afford to just buy Martin Scorsese films. <laughs> yeah. Marty, we own you now. Marty Scorsese. Very true. Um, Should we do a quick review, then? Yes, a really quick one. Like, 
Like five five words. Five words. <laughs> well, the title is five words. All right. Six. <laughs> the time. The time of your lives. All right. <laughs> give me give me some more. So the time of their lives, which stars uh, Joan Collins and Pauline Collins, who are not related. John Collins and Jackie Collins are related. I, uh, this was like a discussion we had to have in the room before the film. Um, this kind of plays as, you know, this, this sort of little subgenre that's erupted in the last 10 years of let's make comedies, dramedies for the older crowd. Yes. You wind up with things like It's Complicated or Hope Springs. This is a sort of Britishy one. And it's Joan Collins and Pauline Collins. And the idea is that Joan Collins is playing what's effectively a satirical version of herself. Uh, well, not satirical, a, a, sort of a fictionalised version of herself. And uh, she's a faded movie star. She's faded into obscurity. She's in an old folks' home. One day, whilst on a senior citizen's excursion, she befriends Pauline Collins, hmm. who's like a downtrodden retired wife retired housewife type um who's lost her son in in years you know in his uh, in his younger years and never quite gotten over it her husband doesn't seem that interested in her anymore he's kind of resigned to simply re- sit on the couch and reading the paper and um john collins basically hijacks pauline collins to get her to accompany her to a funeral in a funeral in France for a famous British director who also happens to have been an old flame of Joan Collins. And the idea is Joan Collins wants to get there to this funeral because anyone who's anyone in Hollywood is going to be there and she's seeking a way to resurrect her career. But it soon transpires that both women have ulterior motives and things they want to achieve from this journey. We have a trailer clip. You, Helen Shelley. I've never met a film star before. British film director Jerry Standing's funeral in Villeray, France. I can't go on my own, can I? I can't go to France. Everybody in Hollywood is going to be there. You and I, we could have an adventure. You don't know me. Just keep moving, okay? <sighs> Madam? Did I have no idea who she is, but she does look familiar. I feel like a teenager again. Well, we're not getting any younger. Why don't you help me to my room? <laughs> Are you going senile? No. So, on um, there are things to actually really like about the time of life. For one thing, the casting of it is actually surprisingly self-aware. Um, Joan Collins herself actually is quite self-aware. She's in playing someone that's so closely tied to her own public image. There is a self-awareness to it that you don't quite expect of Joan Collins. She's she's always been kind of a little bit humorless. You know what I mean? Mm. She's she's game for a laugh, but. She doesn't really, uh, in in the many, many talk show appearances she's put in in the last 30 years, she's never really directed that uh, her gaze inwards at all. And this seems to be as close as you're going to get to that. And actually, the results are surprisingly amusing. Pauline Collins, on the other hand, comes with uh, this sort of stigma of being, is it Shirley Valentine I'm thinking of? I mean, you, you've got a mum, so I presume at some point Shirley Valentine's been on in your house. Well, I've not spoken to mum for a while, so... Fair. Do you think she might have watched Shirley Valentine at that time? Um, no. My mum's not very... Cine-literate? Not very cine-literate. Uh, that's, no. that's fair. To be fair, my mum isn't terribly cine-literate. She likes those awful direct-to-DVD John Travolta movies, like Life on the Line. I've just been reading about the film uh, I Am Raph, oh, actually. Yeah, yeah, my mum loved that. Really? Do you know who's yeah. in it? Rebecca de Mornay. <laughs> is she in it? Yeah. Oh, hang on. Isn't she his, is she his wife? Yes. Yeah. Like, yeah. She gets, like, the whole point of that plot is that she is brutally murdered. Really? Yeah, like, horrifically. Spoiler. But I know that, that's the truth is, of the plot. It's, that's, it's, that's like, it's, plot, it's like, of, uh, like, like a taken kind of a thing. It's more like, remember you ever see Death Sentence with uh, Kevin Bacon? Yes. Yeah, that with John Travolta mm. and a weird amount of comedy. 
Like, it's surprisingly funny. I, I was amused by it, but it is so middle of the road that it's mm. basically avoiding traffic. Um, yeah, so with this, you think, okay, having Shirley Valentine in there, that comes with its own sort of stigma. And they play around with that little bit of self-awareness as well. It does, more or less, land. There is a, a surprisingly effective role for Jolie uh, Richardson. Remember her from... Uh, yeah, of course. Yeah, Event Horizon she was in, Jolie Richardson. Well, she's in a lot. But yeah, that's oh, Nip yeah, Tuck, yeah. 101 Dalmatians. Mm. It's about all I got right Daughter now. of uh, Vanessa. Daughter of Vanessa. Um, and then, of course, Franco Nero, who shows up and decides to horrify the population at large by getting his n*** out for literally no reason. <laughs> but uh, but it, it was faintly amusing. And I thought with the level of self-awareness that it had, actually was doing something kind of different. I liked that it was a British film doing this as well, because it's the sort of thing that you always see American uh, films doing, rather than over this side of the pond. On the whole, I was sort of thinking, my grandmother would adore this, and my mum would probably think it was pretty chucklesome too. But uh, <laughs> I don't think it's going to be the time of anyone's life, though. No. I mean, films should always be judged on where they're chucklesome. Chucklesomeness. Factor. Yes. Chucklesomeness. 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 That's hard to say. It is a little bit. Mm. Right. Uh, two pieces of Joe Carnahan news. Oh, yes. So, I don't think we've spoken about this, but let's let's talk about it a little bit now, because okay. it, it could be good. I'm going to be quietly optimistic. Mm-hmm. So, uh, Joe Carnahan is uh, remaking The Raid. Yes. We the were going to talk we about We were going to talk about it. I think we got way laid. Because... No, we were going to talk about this when, the week that we didn't do podcast extras. Uh, that's yeah, why he was that I week. Yeah. Well, you know, let's, let's talk about it now. Why not? That's that's fair. Oh, yeah. Um, yeah, he's going to be doing that. He's going to be doing it with uh, uh, Frank Grillo. Yes, starring in it, which I think is good. That's that's very good. He's solid for this kind of, and I feel like he needs like a big film. He does, like and he's up for a scrap. Let's be honest. Frank if, you, if, if you've seen The Purge, <laughs> yeah. the two purges, he's in two, two isn't and three, he? two and three. Yeah. yeah, two and three. He's in. Yeah. I don't know if he'll cameo in the whatever the new I, reboot. I doubt it. I think I think he's done. For his character, but um, he's good, and he's also uh, uh, Crossbones. Yes, he is in the Captain America. I the really wish Captain's they, America. I, mean, I really wish they were going to keep that character around longer. After uh, yeah, they could have more. more. Yeah, yeah. But, he's kind of just like he gets relegated to that villain, but gets pumped yeah. off in the first five minutes. Hell of a way to go, though. Absolutely, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you got to go, and it kind of it sets up the tone of the film. It so. does, yeah. Pretty decent way to go. I'm really. okay with that. Um, yeah, they are remaking the Raid, which mm. is a film that we both. Really we, we, we love. I think I it. we had on this show we had it as the film of the year in twenty twelve. Wow, think twenty twelve, twenty thirteen, maybe. What year I... was the road? Twenty twelve. It was either two thousand eleven or twenty twelve. Might be twenty twelve. I think. I think it was yeah. the same year as the Avengers. So yeah, it was. It was twenty twelve. It was twenty twelve. Yeah. Well, I I remember having the premiere at the cinema that I was working at. Oh at yeah, you were in Cardiff at the time. And I met uh, Gav Evans, the you filmmaker, lucky bugger. a really nice guy. Uh, he signed a poster for me, which I have to this very day. Well, he's actually on board this as a producer, isn't he? He he's is, giving yeah. us full blessing. Full blessing. And it's not going to be a straight shot-for-shot shot remake. That's they have said thing about they're it. doing their own thing with sort it. Sort of like a reimagining. So I assume it's still going to be in just in one block, mm. essentially, and they're going to like up violence in that way as well. Because it's not going to be set in like in, in an English-speaking country, isn't it? They've mentioned somewhere else they want to set it. They have, but they've not disclosed where it's going to yeah. be. So they could have quite easily just set it like in somewhere in America, just in, like, Chicago or somewhere. There was a rumour years ago that the director of Expendables 3, whose name I forget offhand, was going to direct the English-language remake yes, of The Raid that was... with the Hemsworths. Yeah. Because he was Australian as well. The idea was... He, he I would have been up for that, yeah. To which I think... But, like, have, have one of them as a villain. Oh, that was the idea, because you have to have... One of the brothers has to be a villain. Yeah. But, yeah, that's the whole thing. I would have been up for that. Yeah, I could see that. That'd be good. But, uh, yeah, so that's the positive news. That is. 
But on the downside, uh, Joe Cannon was supposed to be doing uh, Bad Boys for Life or mm. Bad Boys 3, and that's not, not going on. He's He has dropped out. Valley's still going ahead uh, with the script that he has written. That script might be retooled somewhat, but he is This is uh, another one, I'll gone. believe it when I see it. I know, absolutely. Just the amount of talk shows that Will Smith and oh, Mike yeah. Lawrence have been on saying, it's going to happen, it's going to happen. <laughs> There was a there was I read an interview about it earlier in which Will Smith said uh oh I ran into Martin Lawrence a few months ago and uh, we just hugged and that's when we knew we were going to make this film and you start thinking no everybody knew Martin Lawrence was going to make this film because otherwise Martin Lawrence doesn't make films yeah he's not allowed in films other than <laughs> this one franchise and the occasional big mummers house sequel. yeah nobody wants a blue streak too no one, no one's clamouring out for that for the you know for the R-rated Blue Streak sequel. No, definitely not. No. We, don't, we don't need to say a a blacker night. <laughs> blacker night. <laughs> Nobody does. No, or uh, too uh, black, too night. Yeah, or uh, more national security. Or uh... <laughs> I thought I'd be up for that because I have I've got a bit of a soft spot for Steve Zahn. Really? Yeah, that movie's terrible. But can you imagine if Steve Zahn wins an Oscar one day? Yeah. So if Steve Zahn wins an Oscar, that means that the three principal characters from the movie Sahara will all be Oscar winners. Oh my god, that's true. Yes. Oh wow. Um, what know, a time to be alive! That thing will be. I remember because Steve Zahn is the sidekick. In uh, Sahara, I always in my head get him confused with Justin Bartha's sidekick from National Treasure. Oh yeah, because they're basically the same character. They're pretty similar, yeah, and they're played in exactly the same way. And mm. now I'm just making myself want to watch National Treasure again, which is a slippery slope. I need to stop going down because then you have to watch them both. Yeah, and, and then you watch the sequel, and then you get upset that they're not making the third one anytime soon. So then you just have to watch Sausage Apprentice to. Yeah. yeah, and then you get upset that we never get another we'll get one of those. Of that. Yeah, that yeah. could be a franchise. And that then you just remember the films Nicolas Cage is in now. And do you know you what that brings us back to? That brings us back to Toby Cabell. Because he's also... He a does, Chelsea. yes. Yeah. These are not the droids you're looking for. Mm. So what's Toby Cabell doing now? Oh, he's not. I just wanted to oh, bring it back to Toby Cabell, because <laughs> I just feel like he's everywhere. <laughs> I feel like he needs a better agent as well. He really does. Because his agent is getting him, like, things that sound really promising. We're going to give you the co-lead. In the Ben Hervey, Mick. <laughs> You're going to be the big villain in Amazing Marvel. Is going to be even Fantastic Four. Yeah. <laughs> it, nobody wants. It, I feel like he gets... And he's, a, he's really great. He gets a really good project, but that, yeah. that's his life. You get this great thing with caveats. Yeah. So yeah. I've got you this, but... Yeah. I feel like that's what his agent's sort of whole mantra is. You have this, but... Yeah. From now on, he should just be... You're going to be Andy Serkis, but... Because of all of his mock-up work. <laughs> exactly. So basically what we're saying is he, he's Andy Serkis's butt. He's Andy Serkis's butt. <laughs> Andy Serkis's mocap butt. Fair yeah. But um, I, would, I would love him to be in oh, something great and for him to be great in it. And um, yeah. He was really good in the Monster Calls for like, the brief He time, was, wasn't he? he? I think he's a really great actor. That Black Mirror episode. He's terrific oh, in that. I mean, that, should just, that film should happen. But oh, just yeah. have him be that character. Get right? him back for it. And right. have, have uh, Robert Downey Jr. be the sleazy guy that his girlfriend is with. Oh, yeah. That would totally work. Wouldn't it? Oh, yeah, it really would. Yeah, because I think he's great as that character. Huh. Who'd have thought that one? Yeah. <laughs> I wish I had news to tie it together for Toby Cabell, but sadly, <laughs> I do not. So we'll talk about Damien Chazelle. Yes. He's got some release dates, hasn't he? He has. And and, and a, a sort of a space on his Oscar shelf. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, he Well, he won, he won his best director, so I think he's seen for Yeah. He's, he's all right. It's, it's, it's Jordan Horowitz, and he needs to produce something. Yeah. Yeah, but so what's, um, what's Giselle got going on? So he, and he announced a while J.K. Ago, Simmons. Mm, oh, it might. I feel like it will. 
Yeah, actually. I feel like, and I'd be fine with that, obviously. Oh, I'm totally good with that. I will always be up for a bit of Joke Simmons. <laughs> <laughs> like, like Joke Riley. Uh, you know what? I keep waiting. You know the uh, the memes that we love where it's Reese Witherspoon, Reese Witherspoon? Yeah. Right. How has no one ever done J.K. Simmons, you know, no J.K. Simmons? Yeah. And just have, like, a happy one and a sad, a sad one. one. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> joke Simmons, no Joke Simmons. Just someone add J.K. Yeah. Simmons to this repertoire, please. Um, just as La La Land was coming out, it was announced that he was going to be doing a film called First Man. That's... Which was about uh, Neil Armstrong. Yeah, Neil Armstrong, yeah. And then it was announced that, well, you know it, Vine Gosling is going to be Neil Armstrong. <laughs> Go figure. And the internet collectively swooned. <laughs> we all just went, ah. <laughs> all at the same time. Uh, but now it has a release date of uh, October 2018. That's not far at all. Not far at all. Also, kind of at the start of Oscar season. <laughs> yeah, kind of, isn't it? it? But I, I, I mean, you know, when I, I think Ryan Gosling will win an Oscar one day. I'll be really honest. When I heard Damien Chazelle was going to make a Neil Armstrong movie, the first thought that crept through my mind was Tropic Thunder, when Robert Downey Jr. describes how he lost his mind whilst researching the role of uh, Neil Armstrong, and they found him naked in a refrigerator in an alleyway <laughs> try, trying to leave orbits. <laughs> And by the way, Kirk Lazarus. I was trying to remember the Kirk other week Lazarus, the name of that yeah. character. It's Kirk Lazarus. He's a he's a dude di- disguised as a dude, dude playing, playing another dude. dude yeah. yeah. Um, also, winner of the Beijing <laughs> what do, Film what do you, Festival. What do you mean, you people? Award. What do you mean, you people? <laughs> <laughs> Some crawfish. <laughs> he's so good in that film. Oscar nominated. Oscar. Yeah, like. It is something really special when you're playing a comedic role yeah. like that and get nominated oh, for an God, Oscar. Yeah. He didn't get an Oscar, but he does have his Crying Monkey Award. It was Heath Ledger that, wasn't it? It was, yeah. Mm-hmm. But uh, just on record as saying, I kind of would have preferred Danny Jr. But- well, of course you would, because you would prefer to have RDJ's b- lightly resting upon your chin. Okay, I'm just going to put it out there. I, I genuinely would have Oscar nominated for Iron Man. Not kidding. Genuinely, of I think it's a would. great performance. Of you would. If you can nominate, if you can nominate Johnny Depp for Pirates of the Caribbean, you can sure as shit nominate Tony Stark. Okay, for that first Iron Man movie, maybe not yeah, for any I, of the sequels. I won't uh, disagree with that. Yeah. Um, maybe not for any of the sequels, although, but that first one. If if you think about how he put Captain Jack together, it's pretty, it's pretty tremendous. It, it yeah. is. It's an iconic character now. It is. And yes, it's based on a riot, but it's not really based on an existing character. So. That was essentially built from the ground up, hmm. as opposed to Tony Stark, which is based on <laughs> uh, okay. how many years of context. Hang on, hang on. Whoa, whoa, whoa. First of all, right. Who would have thought we'd y- seen this movie fight? Yeah, your Captain argument- Jack Sparrow versus Tony Stark. <laughs> yeah, but your argument falls apart considering the version that Robert Downey Jr. plays in a largely improvised film bears next to no resemblance whatsoever to his comic book counterpart. That's true, but also, mm. isn't it just RDJ being RDJ? No, there's enough of a stamp in there. Well, okay, you know what? Fair enough. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, feel, I feel like that is the death now argument for that. That's like, that, that is the ultimate checkmate. Let's let's speak about someone who was an iconic character then, and and that's Pierce Brosnan, who was, of course... Well, and actually, not only was he James Bond, he was uh, Remington Steele <laughs> as well. He was Remington Steele, and also Robinson Crusoe. Yes, he yeah. was. <laughs> and... Uh, Robo House from The Simpsons. Yeah, and uh, is it Phineas Fogg? From uh, around the world in yeah, days? yes, is. he was. And, um, <laughs> right, I've never seen the Thomas Crown affair, but does, is he he's, Thomas? Crown? He's Thomas Crown. Right, yeah. okay. I didn't know if it was someone else's affair, and he was just believing it. You know, they tried for years to make a sequel to that. Yeah, they're still trying to reboot it. Still... Someone was. Oh, no, they're rebooting it now. Who, who was who was going to be in it? I'm not sure. Is it Michael B. Jordan? Oh yes, I think that yeah, was the rumor. Yeah, that was it. Yeah, but that's it because they're going a different direction now. But they were trying for so long, like so far past the point that anybody would have cared. It's like uh, the Brazilian job. It's just one of those sequels that's just oh never going to happen. Yeah. 
Like, we are never seeing the Brazilian job. Seth Green and Jason Statham will never team up again on screen. It's not happening. Shame. (laughs) (laughs) You say that, but that movie did have that great moment when they got Kelly Brook to cameo, and so Seth Green could blow her clothes off using stereo speakers. That's true. Because she she was was in a relationship with Jason Statham at the time, yeah. And uh, and now he has Rosie Huntington Whiteley. They've, they've, both, they've both moved on. They've got other they've, partners. Yeah, but he's he's actually going to be a dad now. You know. I know. That's amazing. Do you know as well how old Jason Statham now is? Forties somewhere. Forty nine. Jason Statham is almost fifty. Forty nine years old. My word. He put out he, that you know, there's a men's fitness spread that he's done at the minute. Yeah. You've seen the black and white picture. Yeah. 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 That was the time with him being 49. That's amazing. Yeah, so it's, Jason Statham will be 50 next year. Is Kelly Brook so. still with uh, Billy Zane? No, I, I, long, I a long think time ago. she's on some... I think she's uh, on Instagram with some rugby player some or something. Some guy. Some some guy. Put a coconut, Zane. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing with Billy Zane. Uh, the bit of trivia <laughs> that I always love about Billy Zane is that the role he plays in Titanic mm. was intended for Rob Lowe. Yes. And the only reason Rob Lowe apparently didn't get it was because of a leaked sex tape. Yeah. Which... I don't know. I feel like that would have added some. I feel uh, like that would have uh, aided his audition yeah. because he's such a sleazebag. In well, supposed to be such right. a sleazebag. You know, you say that, but in my opinion, Titanic suffers from the same problem that Die Hard and the Karate Kid suffer from. Well, I like Die Hard and Karate Kid. Oh no, no, I'm not saying the film's bad. No, it's just that I, I don't. Like it's Titanic. just the wrong character is the lead. I feel like Billy Zane should be the focus of Titanic because he's clearly the cooler character. I feel like uh, Victor Gabor should have been the focus. <laughs> Kathy Bates should have been the main character of Titanic. She is the best thing in that film. She's you know amazing. What, you know what amazed me, actually? I was reading a thing about Misery recently, like a retrospective on Misery. Oh, I didn't. so good. It is. I didn't realise that Kathy Bates was basically an unknown at that point. Yeah. Like, and, she, and she won an Oscar for it. Because, obviously, throughout our lifetimes, Kathy Bates has just always been a thing. Yeah. But, because of that, really. Yeah, I didn't realise that that's the role that put her on the map, you dirty bird. Just uh, before you go on to IT, and go we, on. we've been talking about people who've never been nominated for Oscars. Yeah. Rob Reiner has been nominated for an Oscar. Yeah. But I feel like... How has he not won? How has he not won? That the, one mind blows me. The number of classic films he has made. I how think has he never won an it Oscar? might be because every time someone considers him, he phones up and tells them off for smoking or using polystyrene. Or, or something like that. I when you say that, it reminds me of his, his when he's in uh, the uh, Wolf of Wall Street. Yeah. And when someone calls him whilst he's watching Hello. Yeah. Oh, wonderful. Right out, Jim. And he puts right. on like a fake British accent. <laughs> so good. Oh, I love him in that movie. And thank you, because now, yet again, I want to watch The Wolf of Wall Street. I swear, oh, it's great. about every fortnight now. Someone reminds me of The Wolf of Wall Street, and I feel the intense desire to rewatch so, it. Uh, revisit. And I'm not even kidding when I say The Wolf of Wall Street might genuinely be one of my favourite ever movies. It's, it's that. It could be up there. That, Snowpiercer. And it's surprising how many recent films actually are making their way into my favourites ever list. Yeah. But, well, uh, you are getting on in years. You've got to. Got to reflect on what has recently just been. It's very true. When you get to my uh, my saintly age. Yeah. <laughs> so, so with that in mind, IT. <laughs> so, Pierce, Pierce Brosnan is uh, now an old man, you see. And, uh, right, yeah. brace yourself for this case, because I promise nothing's going to prepare you for this film. Right, so the basic gist is, Pierce Brosnan is a uh, the, the head of a private airline. He is Mike Regan, a character whom... Bizarrely, the film can never decide on the spelling of his name. So there are literally three different spellings of this character's surname throughout the film. 
Now, that tells you something about how interesting the film is, that I noticed that, mm. that there are three different spellings of his name. Right. One day, during a big presentation for a new app, which is going to be like Uber with private planes, which incidentally actually exists, um, mm. and, and not by Mike Regan, incidentally, um, during a presentation for this, this app, his computer crashes, and they get a temp from this, uh, from his tech department, from his IT department, hence the clever, clearly not a working title title. Um, they get this te- temp guy to come in and fix the, uh, the, the computing, uh, the, the, the laptop, sorry, get the presentation back on track. The day is saved, the presentation goes through, off to the SEC for compliance. Right. Then you have this clip. I'm going to finish the plot after this clip. And I'm just going to forewarn you, that bizarre-sounding voice is Pierce Brosnan. Hey. Sorry. I'm sorry, Mr. Regan. Hey, you're the IT guy, right? Yeah, that's right. Ed Porter. Yeah, Mike Regan. You really saved my ass in there today, thanks. Yeah, yeah. You knew? Yeah, just a temp. Okay, well, we'll try and fix that. Okay, Great, see thanks. you tomorrow. Hey, listen, um, can I ask you something? Uh, are you doing anything over the weekend? No, I'm pretty free. Good, maybe you can come over to our house, have a look at our internet. My daughter's complaining about it. Would that be okay? Not a problem. Okay, John will give you the address tomorrow. Good night, um... Ed. <laughs> <laughs> Ed. Good night, good man. He's never been that Irish, has he? No, first of the weird thing, Pierce Brosnan is Irish. He, he, he is Irish. Dan, I know. How, I know how, that, but he's never been you, this Irish. I mean, how can you be Irish and not be capable of playing Irish? It's, that's bizarre. How does an Irishman sound like that and think it's okay? That's... He sounds like someone that's never met an Irish person and then was introduced to Colmini and then was told to do an impression of Colmini. <laughs> he sounds like like they did a hotshot sequel that specifically dealt with the IRA and they got <laughs> Pierce Brosnan to play Jerry uh, is it Jerry Adams. Yeah, and yeah, <laughs> yeah, from Sinn Fein. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it sounds like that's oh, that's dream casting. Oh, well, that really is, isn't it? But uh, right, it could generally happen. <laughs> so. <laughs> The villain of this piece. Okay, so let me explain the plot then. So the kid, the temp guy, goes round to Pierce Brosnan's house to who, fix who, the Wi-Fi. Who's the temp called again? I think he's James Freshville. I think you, you James pro- Freshville. You probably find him on the IMDb page. Ed Ed Porter. <clears throat> Ed is Porter. His yeah. <clears throat> right. He goes round to Pierce Brosnan's ridiculously over the top smart house. It is called, referred to habitually as a smart, smart house. house. And it's basically got iPads on every wall. And the idea is there are cameras in each iPad as well, but the cameras are deactivated for reasons of privacy. Pierce Brosnan is an old school man who believes in, in the idea of privacy, yet still has this ridiculously teched out house because dot 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 movie. Um, and this is actually a plot point he brings up. They have a discussion about privacy in the 21st century. Right. So, tech guy goes round, fixes the Wi-Fi, meets Pierce Brosnan's, uh, you know, sexy teenage daughter as well, who happens to be Stephanie Scott from Insidious 3 and Gem and the Holograms. Mm. And uh, Gem is fresh, Gem is exciting. Yeah, exactly, yeah. yeah, Gem is fresh, Gem is exciting. And Pierce Brosnan's sexy wife, who's played by Anna Friel, because dot, 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 attractive woman. I like Anna Friel. Yeah, I mean, this is a movie so gloriously chunder header that at one point they sh- they they uh, they manhandle Anna Friel to the point of uh, basically her underwear purely because she's an attractive woman. I mean, this genuinely is that kind of level of, of screenwriting. The idea is that having met Pierce Brosnan's daughter, James Freshville's character, who is portrayed as the Big Bang Theory's version of Gollum. Is it becomes instantly besotted with her. Uh, friend requests her through Facebook, um, strikes up a bit of a friendship that Pierce Brosnan then objects to, and then decides to start electronically tormenting them. And the ways in which he does this 
are just fantastically ludicrous. We are expected this t- this movie takes place in a world in which your doctor informs you of bad news by email. So, mm. y- so you can imagine the sort of things he pulls. Technology. Y- yeah. It is absolutely moronic. It is a film that has that antiquated idea that computer hackers exist in um, old abandoned Victorian apartment buildings, you know, with the vaulted ceilings. They sit around, lit entirely by neon green lights, shirtless, and in front of a bank of monitors. The explanation we're given for his abilities is that he used to do some contract work for the NSA uh, that he can't talk about. But it's, it's comical. Do you ever see that movie The Boy Next Door with Jennifer Lopez? Um, no. Right. I, I'm aware of it. It was an awful movie. And the whole crux of it was that, you know, she slept with the boy, ne- the, the you know, jailbait boy next door, and he turned out to be a nutter. That was the whole thing. But the movie fell apart because it was instantly obvious that he was a nutter even before she slept with him. This movie does exactly the same thing with this guy who just looks and behaves like Gollum with an emo haircut. Hmm. If you ever saw the Dead Ringers version of Jamie Cullum years ago, it plays exactly like that. The idea that this is a sane, sentient human being to begin with is implausible. So the idea that he's then a nutter doesn't really come with much shock value. I mean, I mean, it's the entire plot of the film, but there you go. The other thing is, Pierce Brosnan simply cannot be arsed here. Genuinely, have you seen the poster for the film? I have. Right. Did you notice that on the poster, Pierce Brosnan is doing this sort of weird grimace thing with his face? I did. Right. That is the expression he wears throughout the entirety of this film. A film in which he simply adopts that awful accent and mumbles. And you think, you know what, I hope you were getting paid really, really well for this because you're basically destroying any positive thing I can say about about you as an actor anymore after November Man and... Oh, he did another awful thriller, didn't he? November Man, the other one, and this... I'm just about ready to give up on Pierce Brosnan. He's gone into... Is that one with... Um, what's her face? He did one with Emma Thompson a couple of years ago called The Love Punch. Oh, I... That was good. I enjoyed that. That was one where Timothy Spall Tim was Spall. like a murderous assassin. But he kept, like, hinting about yeah. it. Yeah. It was like, this reminds me of that one mission in Puerto Rico. <laughs> and just, yeah. That's all I'd say about it. When Timothy Spall absolutely stole a movie from Pierce Brosnan and Emma Thompson, and you were like, what? It was amazing. And then, yeah, the one with her from Fifth Element and Resident Evil name escapes me right now. Oh, is that Survivor? Oh, yeah, Survivor. That's yeah. the one. Yeah, Survivor. Absolutely awful. Yeah. yeah and... you... <laughs> it's late and I'm tired. I've got a headache. I forgot what my name is. <laughs> Your case, Alan, you're an award nominated film critic. <laughs> <laughs> just do that put that put a light on a little card and put it in your wallet anyway that's the caption I'm going to walk around with I think you should no. um, it is genuinely an awful film um, it's it perks up somewhat when Michael Nyquist enters it but he only comes in for the third act as a sort of white hat computer hacker mm. um, but Ultimately, it's one of those films that you laugh at the contrivance, you laugh at the very worn tropes, and you laugh at the cliché, and there's a lot of it in there. Um, it's a film that just doesn't seem to take place in the real world. It just reminds you that Pierce Brosnan's well and truly gone off the rails in the time since he left the Bond role, and you come away just thinking, I hated it, but more than anything, I'm just sad. I'm sad that I've seen it. I'm sad that Pierce Brosnan's in it. I'm sad that anybody would think to put their name to it. But also, at the same time, I'm not terribly surprised to see that this comes from the director of A Good Day to Die Hard. So, Oh, that makes sense. Man. Yeah, it all and comes together, doesn't did, it? Did he do uh, the Omen remake as well? He did, yes. And Max Payne. 
which oh, is yeah. a movie for which the title aptly reviews the experience of watching the film. Yeah, I used to love Max Payne games. I did as well. Mm. Yeah, never quite finished the third one. Cheers, Warburg. <laughs> yeah, thanks for that, Marky Mark. You managed to get you got Mila Kunis Mila in Kunis there, and you well, yeah. still managed to f- it up. I mean, honest to God, what the hell? But uh, I'd like them to have another go at Max Payne. Yeah, I think they could uh, reboot have that. Have a shot. Yeah, Maxia Payne. Maxine Payne. Maxine we'll get, Payne. We'll get a female reboot. Sorry, yeah, Christina Loken and directed by Uwe Ball. But, uh... <laughs> <laughs> Hasn't he retired now? He has At least semi-retired, yeah. or... He has. But, uh, yeah, I mean, IT, I, I was warned that it was bad, I just did not know how much. And just... Did, did you see this in an actual cineplex? In oh, actual no, I, actual press, actual press show, despite the fact that you know, it's one of those films that's been <clears throat> sitting around torrent sites for years... Uh, but no, I was in the. I was. I was a good boy. I was in the pressure. But uh, I, I tell you, we were hysterically laughing at this thing. It is so bad. It really is just the dumbest attempt at a ninety-minute schlocky director DVD thriller. And you just sit there and think, like, this is. Is it John Moore who directed directed some directed Good Day to Die Hard? Because I think so. Yeah. It's just you're like I cannot believe this comes from someone who uh, supposedly direct mainstream blockbusters. Mm. It is awful. I mean, it's quite obviously... It's also written by someone who clearly doesn't know how computers work, but, uh, yeah. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah, one of those films. So, any more uh, news to round off? I mean, there's a few bits, but let's talk about it next week. Um, the trailer for Geostorm has just dropped. Oh, was it just dropped? Because they were teasing this yesterday. I watched the 19-second preview trailer we, with, with my wife and, and with one of my friends. Yeah. And they were like, why, why do you want to watch that? <laughs> and I said, listen to this premise on IMDb and I read them out of the premise. The same I, one we've read before. We've read it on the show. Oh, we've yeah. read it on the show before, yeah. yeah. Where it's it's a man is sent into space to stop climate change. <laughs> to stop <laughs> weather, weather control satellites. Yeah, to stop it? climate yeah. change changing um, uh, satellites and also his brother's trying to stop an assassination attempt on the president's life. Yeah, that's amazing. That in itself. Oh, of God, course, yeah. Of course you want to see that. Yeah. Take my money. That sounds ridiculous. Starring Gerard Butler as a satellite engineer. But here's the thing. Yeah. Like, Joe Butler's not in that preview trailer. That's a shame. And I said to my friend, I said, I've just told you about premise. Who do you think the star is? And he just went, Joe Butler? <laughs> I was like, yes. <laughs> because well, yeah, who else? <laughs> because it's such a stupid idea. Who could pull it off? Joe Butler. Joe Butler. Why not? And I'm, I'm looking forward to watching that trailer. We're going to watch it. When we finish this, we're going to watch that. He, he did say Joe Butler than Nick Cage. <laughs> I feel like if Joe Butler said no, that's who you go to. I, I feel like that's a movie. If you were going to do the director DVD version, you'd hire John Cusack. Yeah, but I feel like John Cusack would do the director DVD version. Uh, the mid-range, the, the low-budget version would be Thomas Jane, and then uh, yeah, and then the big-budget version bread. is Gerard Butler. I feel like that's the spectrum we're working on here. How is he still allowed to make films? I don't know. I mean, I I go, I support it because it just. <laughs> It, it gives me joy. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, after London, has, uh, London and Olympus, I'm, I'm willing after, to... After they both fell. I'm, I'm going to give Joe Butler enough rope, I think, to hang himself <laughs> with on this one. I, I, I do think he's, he is a gormless but kind of enjoyable action star. I mean, he is the lowest rent one around. I mean, he's, he's, mar- he's only marginally better than Scott Adkins in terms of his profile. Well, yeah, and a lot, a lot of people don't know who Scott Adkins is. Really? Yeah, definitely. Oh, okay. I think if you say, if you say to, like, the... Like the average, average uh, moviegoer. A friend of mine um, actually looked into hiring Scott Adkins for a film he's making. 
hmm. and uh, was told by his agent that he could have Scott Adkins for a film for 20 grand. That's pretty good. That's that's not bad, is it? And let's th- let's pull our money together. <laughs> well, you want to just just hire Scott Adkins to just sit around and have tea with you? Just for the day, yeah. <laughs> just, what was it like on Doctor Strange about one scene? Yeah, you just hire him and he just follows you around for the day. It can, it can be my stunt double. I will hire <laughs> I will hire Scott Adkins for twenty grand if he will sit in the passenger seat of my car for an entire day and allow me to do a shot for shot remake of Training Day. Oh, I'd be up for that. Yeah, I'd be up for that. Yeah. I thought you were going to say Lock. <laughs> so it's just... He films it. Yeah, he films me remaking Lock. <laughs> yeah. So you're Tom Hardy, and he is... Who is it? Who's you need the Stephen concrete. Stephen McKnight? The concrete. <laughs> My name is Ivan Lock. I wanted some concrete. You do the boy, yeah? <laughs> The child is not my boy. He's not my son. <laughs> Listen to me, yeah. Listen to me. <laughs> anyway, we could be we, we could, could be, be Tom Hardy, fake Welsh any day. Should we, should we plug a different actor instead? Yeah. Your moment of gauge. Oh hi, I'm Nicholas Cage, and this is a song for you. My favorite things, my favorite things. Blue jeans, see a red-haired girl. Sweet peanut butter, a slow-burning candle. Cup of tea and a good book The dance of the reindeer And also Pachinko Yeah Pachinko Pachinko was so 